Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is My Time at Seth Rock. And I am Sherlock Holmes, otherwise known as Eric Bike World Rally. I was really hoping this isn't what was happening when you brought in the pipe and the magnifying glass. Using my superior detective skills, I've determined there to be a decided uptick in Sunsoft games coming to Switch. Well, yeah, that's true. We got a look this week at the impossibly cute Euphoria 2, which is just the latest coming from Sunsoft to Switch. So today we're counting down the top five releases we still want to see from them on Switch. Did your detective skills forget about that? Was was that mystery not afoot? No, my dear Watson, the appendage affixed to the bottom of my leg is a foot. The mystery, dear chum, is at Blood Edward Island. And like Juliet, to a lesser extent, if my trace memory serves, we shall need all our wits about us to contemplate our full review of another code recollection and solve the mystery that is Ashley Robbins. Then Mrs. Hudson informs me of some unsavory types trying to get into the sprawl. We must find a way to keep that from happening. Well, Eric, Scott Sherlock. and Artem from uh, Okay, Scott and Artem from Hilltop Studios happen to be stopping by later to talk all about the sprawl and how we can protect it in their charming new game of deduction and time traveling, Lil Guardsman. It's our first dev interview of 2024 and it's a big one. I I did deduce that, you know. Well, did you deduce that it's time to start the show? Well, that part was elementary. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. Elementary indeed here on a brand new episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show. Reaching every week, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sherlock was Cockney. Did you all know that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, you know, there, there are many different interpretations of, of Sherlock, you know. So, you know, you're yeah. not quite Robert Downey Jr. or Benedict Cumberbatch, but you do okay. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I can't help it if I'm the one that they draw inspiration from. Yeah. But, you know. I think that's but, what uh, it was. They were the <laughs> true time travelers. But I mean, <laughs> I am using my detective skills and I did to do something very important, Seth. We have something incredibly important to do right now. Oh, yes. The same thing we do every week on the show uh, right here at the beginning. Thanking our wonderful patrons at patreon.com. Uh, slash all in podcast. Huge thanks to everybody who supports us over there. Uh, we need to start with our golden banana bunch. I need to thank Rob Yapel, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, aka Neo Prime 33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, Foolish Fuji, Alan, hashtag look to the cookie, Solo something, and brand new uh, golden banana tier patron, SAZ. Welcome on in to the, the Golden Banana tier. Yeah, he uh, he uh, upgraded to the, the Golden Banana Bunch over there on Patreon. So huge thanks to him uh, for doing that. Uh, welcome on in. Enjoy the exclusive content. You too uh, can check out the exclusive t- uh, content we have on Patreon. Seven day free trial to that Golden Banana tier and you can join their ranks. 
SA clearly stands for super awesome. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But moving into our Triforce tier. Do you think Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday? We need to thank John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast, the Globetrotten Jet Set Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over on YouTube, Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Daniel Hinojosa, Dan and Luma, Bowza, the Keeper of the Hugs, and the Legend himself. The answer to every mystery, Uncle Randy. Uncle Randy. Thank you so much to everybody who uh, supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Thank you again to SAZ for upgrading to the Gold Banana tier. Again, seven-day free trial. You can check it out for yourself. You don't have to take our word for it. You can also grab some merch at bit.ly slash allinmerch if you'd like to support the show that way. Throw a few bones our way. We appreciate it. If you don't have any bones to throw away, that's okay too. You can leave some words. Drop us some words. A five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. Just like Sebastian from Sacramento did. And by the way, I, su- I think this actually is also SAZ. Um, I-, I think this is who this is. On American iTunes, left us a five-star review, and it says, Best Nintendo Podcast. This is simply the most polished, creative, and passionate podcast about Nintendo. Eric and Seth are like talking history textbooks slash encyclopedias about Nintendo's past. I trust them to critically analyze news in a fair, objective manner while maintaining empathy. I also trust their critical analysis regarding software, which helps me find games with heart, feature gameplay loops rewarding creativity slash exploration and or are simply weird in a cool way i never miss an episode so Aww. huge thanks for that if review. that is usaz thank you very much if that's not then i apologize for the mix-up yeah yeah whoever whoever you are sebastian from sacramento uh we appreciate your review very much uh again quick and easy way to support the show and if you if you drop words uh, I will shout it out here on the show. They're they're very, very much appreciated, free, uh, quick and easy way to get our show in front of the people who need to hear it. So if you like the show, please do leave that review. Thanks yeah. for doing that. Thank you um, so much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, sir, what has been going on in your world this week? Well, of course, we are going to be doing our big review of another code recollection a little bit later on in the episode. So as you might imagine, that is what I've been spending the lion's share of my week doing, playing through those uh, two previous another code games from the Nintendo DS and the Nintendo Wii now packaged into a single wonderful little package. Uh, So if you want to hear my full thoughts on that, again, make sure to tune in a little bit later on where we shall do just that. In addition uh, to another code recollection, I've also been playing a little bit of a very special arcade game that came out this past week that I was incredibly excited for, so much so that I decided to do a full game playthrough of it and record it for all of our amazing fans and, and supporters and, and community and and re- and nothing happened bad at all and it was completely normal and now I'm sad again but you should definitely check out the video <laughs> of my largely open quote full game playthrough of Rainbow Islands uh, on the Nintendo Switch uh, it was it was really fun I actually kept track of how many quarters that game sunk for me and then again, you know, it, it ended a little check out the video, folks. Check yeah, you should just video. watch the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once again, put that up for the amazing community 
really excited. Still really excited that that game is, uh, that the game released and that it's out there. And I still highly recommend it. If you haven't checked it out yourself, go ahead and check that video. It is up on the YouTubes. Now, in addition to that, a couple other small things, uh, wound up playing through, a uh, few other fighting games on my PlayStation 5. But honestly, the last thing I want to shout out is a little demo that came out this week, very surprisingly. Uh, it seems to be a lot of that going around over the past week. You know, we got a bunch of stuff dropping on the Switch, Team Next Fest, but I definitely wanted to make sure to put a few seconds into the brand new Mario V Donkey Kong demo that dropped. I played it. Seth played it. And speaking of the YouTubes, Seth recorded his playthrough of the demo. Seth, it seems like you liked the demo a little bit, sir. It was really good. Yeah, I, I was really impressed by it. I, um, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit here on the show because, you know, it was it was announced a little while ago. And like, you know, I've been like, I was going to get it. I've been looking forward to it, but not you like know. hyped. I wouldn't yeah. say that I was hyped. We were, like, you know, it was like, it was cool that they released that trailer showing off new content. It was like, okay, you know, get us a little excited. You're adding stuff. It's a really good visual upgrade. Okay. Interest peaked, but. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say that I was mildly anticipating it. Um, but, but playing the demo really did graduate me to full on, like I am hyped for this now. Um, <laughs> and it's a quick demo. It's only like four or five levels. Yeah. Um, and you'll, I mean, I like I played through it in like 10 minutes or something like that. It's, it's, it's quick. Um, but it gives you a little bit of a taste, you know, you kind of get what you're in for, but really what it was for me was just the way everything is presented is so impressive. Like, you know, seeing, we, we sort of looked at the initial like reveal trailer and stuff and I was kind of like, eh, looks a little generic, you know, whatever. Like I, it, the, the art style is not really doing anything for me, but I got to admit, like seeing it in motion and just how like clean and like polished and snappy everything is and just how like well put together, like the, the main menu is unbelievable. It's so cool. Like it's real simple. It's just Mario and Donkey Kong sort of with the the title in the middle of the screen. And yeah. they're both sort of eyeballing each other from the opposite corner. But man, like it's like the highest quality render we've ever seen of either of those two characters. You can make out the stitching on Mario's hat, the individual hairs on Donkey Kong. It's like I just stared at the title screen for a little bit. Like, my God, you know, it's so impressive what they've done. And then they they redid that intro cutscene, um, and that also looks amazing. And then you get into the game, and, like, you know, it, it looks and plays kind of like what we were expecting, but the music is out of this world. It's so good. I was like, holy crap. I Like, this, <laughs> this genuinely, I'm like, this is, like, the first... I could see this being on the short list of like best music at the end of the year. Like it's that strong. It's so good. Yeah. It, it does make a very strong first impression. I I'm still really, really excited for the game. Uh, you know, you're able to play through a, a decent chunk of the first world in just a few minutes. And even with the added content, I, I do wonder how long the, the final package is going to be, but it also did very, much increased my interest in the game as well. After you finish the demo, there was also a very good sizzle reel showing off a lot of the different gameplay quirks and obstacles and different little 
things that you're going to have to contend with throughout the rest of the game does a very, very good job of, of, of kind of dangling that carrot on a stick in front of you after you finish playing it. It gives you just enough to let you know what you're in for and teases you with the rest. A lot of people may be a little disappointed with how short the demo was, but it was frankly exactly what it needed to be for a game like that. You know exactly what type of game this is going to be, and the game teases you with everything it is going to be. I thought so too. That was my takeaway too, because the thing is, if the demo were longer, right, people would be people would be like wanting to transfer their save over and stuff like this. Because the demo is just a handful of levels, like they give you just what you need. It's a puzzle game, so like you don't want to yeah. come into the full game knowing all of the solutions anyway. So it's like just get me in there, get me a taste, show me how impressive the the overall package is, because like none of this stuff I think translated that well in trailers. But when you get your hands on it, I mean it, it's only like ten minutes, but in ten minutes, like they they took me from just kind of like yeah, like I'll play that to like, wow, I'm like kind of counting down the days a little bit, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm really excited. I, I don't think this is going to be like a 30 to 50 hour experience, but no. like as a little, like, you know, fun, satisfying playthrough and in an incredibly well-presented package with that music, the music alone would have been worth the price of admission for me. Um, good God. Like I was just really impressed. <laughs> like it's, it's exactly what you want from a demo like this. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you can check out that video that's up on the YouTube channels now. And as of this recording, we have less than two weeks to wait for Mario v. Donkey Kong. Uh, yeah, color me excited. But uh, yeah. yeah, between another code recollection and uh, Rainbow Islands heartbreak and and that demo that honestly, when it comes to the Nintendo side of things, that was most of my week. But I know you had a little bit more on the docket for yourself over the past few days. Yeah, well, in addition to the Mario vs. Donkey Kong demo, I did uh, play the demo for uh, Otogi Katsugeki Mamede no Bakuru Oracle Saitaro no Sainan, uh, yes. <laughs> which is the uh, the the good feel game. Uh, I mentioned it on last week's news roundup. They they put a demo up on the Japanese eShop. Um, I'm hoping to have a video out on that soon because I would like to show it off. Um, to, to people who either don't want to make a Japanese eShop account or whatever. It's it's easy to make, but I do understand it's a little bit of... You, got, you do have to jump through some hoops, so I get it. Um, but playing that demo, it's, first of all, a fairly meaty demo. Um, Is it? You can, yeah, you can, you can play quite a bit of it. Um, and, uh, and for the people that don't know what game that is, that was the really impressive 3D platformer that showed up a few months ago in the Nintendo Direct, in the specifically Japanese yeah. Nintendo Direct that we didn't really get to see. But once it was shown off in that Japanese Direct, video clips and, and things started to kind of make their way our way. So it's hopefully we'll get it localized. But if you're wondering what game Seth's talking about, it's that one. It's that really cool 3D platformer from the Japanese Nintendo Direct a few months back. Yeah, it's it's made by Goodfeel, who is is most known for like the Yoshi's Woolly World and mm -hmm. um, Kirby's Epic Yarn and stuff like that. And that that team is founded by a lot of the people responsible for the uh, Ganbare Goemon series. And so this is kind of their Goemon spiritual successor. And uh, it's great. It's really good. Um, the the problem with this game, though, I I hate to say it, and I don't want to put this negative energy out into the world. I don't think it's going to get localized. I would love it to. 
I don't think it's going to for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, the game is very Japanese. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I, not even just like in terms of like whatever the tone, I, it's, it's like specific Japanese, like lore and humor. Like that is a game about Japan. Um, like it's about like the fables and the folklore. I'm not saying that that's impenetrable to an American audience because there are plenty of people as Americans and other, you know, regions that appreciate that stuff. But like, this feels like, you know, a, a, a game that is kind of like celebrating Japan as a concept. But then on top of that, it does have like some very kind of Japanese humor. Like one of the collectibles is, um, one of these little Isun like sage spirit types. Um, but they're poop. Like it's actually poop. Like it's like a, it is like a little like coil pile of poop that's like cute and chibiified and you track down like five of them in each stage and they'll give you a little like fun fact about Japan basically, um, which is cute and good, but I don't know how well that plays to an American audience. On top of that, the game did not sell well in Japan at all. Apparently, um, from what I had read, it actually sold less than 50,000 units in Japan. So it's kind of a high risk. And I don't know that the reward would necessarily be there if they were to localize it. I would love it if they did. There's also a lot of dialogue and a lot of cutscenes and a lot of writing and text that would have to be localized. So a, a surprising amount, actually. Like there are, even just in the scope of the demo, a ton of little characters that have a lot to say. So I'm sitting there with Google Translate on my phone just so I can <laughs> kind of understand what's happening. Um but man, like it, it would be a lot of work. And I don't think if they do localize the game, everybody should buy it because like it, they, they have no real reason. It would be a pure like fan service move for them to localize this game. Uh, I hope they do, but I have no expectation for that. I kind of don't expect it. <laughs> I just imagine you sitting there playing this game with your phone, just like Google, Pretty what much. Does, what does aura, 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 aura mean? <laughs> I, I literally had it like there, there's a Google Translate phone app to where I can just kind of, you know, aim the phone at my TV and it'll like give, give me a rough translation of the text. So I could, you know, I could pick up a little bit of what was happening. And it's like a silly story. Like you, you play as a Tanuki. Like the main character is a Tanuki that is disguising themselves as a young boy. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, I mean, like, this is just how Japanese this game is. Like he attacks with Taito drumsticks. Like that's his that. whole, <laughs> that's his whole thing. The, the whole like conceit of the game, the villain of the game is like this Japanese, like festival clown type villain. And so he's attacking literally with drums when he, his kind of shield to deflect like projectiles is a Taito drum. And, um, that, that's a huge piece of the game. When, when you attack, you actually attack with L and R, um, and, and you can swing the individual sticks to attack with, um, and you can combine them for strong attacks and there's, you know, aerial attacks and stuff. So, um, that's, that's very much what the game's got going on. It is a Japanese game, you know, <laughs> for his super um, attack, the map zooms out and the character literally picks up Japan off the map of the world and smacks the enemy with it. Like, yeah, the world map is just Japan. Like the, the world map when you're selecting the stage is just Japan, <laughs> you know, like it is, 
just, you know, like, like this game, it's a real celebration of Japanese culture, which I love about it. But again, I don't know how well that plays, uh, outside of Japan, as much as I would love to see it localized. Yeah. It also didn't sell well, you know, yeah. so. Well, we're probably still going to check it out in some way, shape or form when it does release, even if it doesn't get localized. Um, I, I hope it's good, man. Cause it, it looked really good in that trailer in the direct. I like it. So it is, man. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's good. Again, if you have a Japanese eShop account, uh, you know, check it out. It's worth playing. And, um, if you don't have one, it's easy to make one. And you know, if you're too lazy, whatever, I'm going to put up a video soon, yeah. um, to show most of the same for, price in America or Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. Uh, I also, I did put up a video on the YouTube channel for Eastward Octopia, uh, the new Eastward DLC that came out, which is like the cozy, like farming sim DLC that they put out for Eastward. It's really cool. It's, um, they, they did that. They made Eastward into a farming sim. And I got to admit, I'm impressed. Now the Switch version does struggle a little bit. That is worth noting. Um, you see it in my video. I notate it in the video. It hitches from time to time, especially when there's like rain, like on a rainy day. The Switch version does kind of struggle a little bit. And I'm assuming it's just because there's so many different systems because the, the, the main game I had no performance problems with. Mm. So um, it's for Octopia specifically. So hopefully there's some optimization that can happen post-launch. But yeah, like they've taken this. They, they, they made a sort of Stardew Valley kind of thing. They uh, they did a lot of really neat little optimizations with it. Um, they, they sort of cut a lot of the fat out of games like this. So for example, in something like a Stardew Valley, you have to like refill your watering can. Not here. You just have a magic watering can that is always filled. Um, you also don't have to like water your crops one grid space at a time. You can just press and hold and just like drag your infinite water all over your farm if you want to. So very like friendly, like very friendly game. Um, they've like consolidated some of the tools. So rather than having to manage like an ax for cutting trees and a pickaxe and like all this, um, like your ax just does all of that stuff. So just a lot of little like smart kind of, you know, fat trimming in the design. Um, it has a story to it too, which is cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, digging in a little bit more and seeing what's going on with the story and, yeah, it's good. Music's nice. great. Vibes are great. The pixel art's great. Um, you know, just like uh, just like it always has been in the in the base game. So I will say, you do need to own the base game in order to play it. So it's not like standalone. It is like a separate thing. It's not necessarily tying into the story that much. Um, you can just access it from the main menu, and you don't need to have beaten the main story in order to play it, but you do need to own the base version of the game in order to play it. So that is worth noting. The DLC itself is only $5.99. In fact, I think it's on sale for like five bucks um, in a launch window discount, but you you will need the base game. Uh, so that is worth noting if you're wanting to jump in. Yes. Um, yeah. Good game. It's good. Check it out. YouTube video uh, if you want to see it in motion. The last thing I'll just shout out really quickly um, is, yeah, I played a bunch of Paper Mario 64 on <laughs> NSO. I played through the whole game, actually, this past oh, week. Oh, nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I beat it. Like, I, I played the whole thing. Um, it was funny. We decided uh, for part of the Critical Diversions Game Club that that would be the next game. And I was like, Paper Mario sounds good. You know, I'm kind of going through a rough patch. That sounds nice and cozy. You know, and then, yeah, I wound up, you know, putting in like a 22 hour playthrough of that game and finishing it uh, yesterday. 
So, <laughs> yeah, and, it, that's, and it, so it was a wonderful place. There's a ton of all time great games there, just ready to boot up whenever. So that's what we pay the subscription service for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm definitely, you know, like I'm guilty of like I, I have like the most expensive NSO, but yet most of the time I just go in there and play it for half an hour, an hour, yeah. and then bounce, you know? So, like, it was kind of nice to do, like, a full playthrough of Paper Mario with my N64 controller, you know, and, like, just being nostalgic. It made me feel like a teenager again, you know? The game yeah. still holds up beautifully well. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I really, really love that game. And uh, it just put me in a Paper Mario headspace because we're, we're hot off of Mario RPG, obviously. Um, we have thousand year door coming at some point later this year. So I'm just kind of in this paper Mario moment right now. And, uh, the next thing I did, like I said, I finished it yesterday and immediately I just busted out the, the Wii and hooked it up in the living room. And now I'm playing super paper Mario. (laughs) So yeah. Count black. (laughs) Yeah. So now I'm playing, playing super paper Mario and I would like to get through that. And the next thing I actually would love to do is find a copy of color splash because I never played color splash. Um, so that's, yeah, that's on the list. It was a very late Wii U game. Like the Wii U already had a thick layer of dust on it by the time that came out. But yeah, that's um, but yeah, that that's I, I would love to be able to put to play through Super Paper Mario and Color Splash before the Thousand Year Door comes out. Yeah, so we'll see. You did play Sticker um, Star, right? Yeah, I played it when it came out on 3ds, and yeah. uh, I didn't hate it as much as everybody else does. I didn't I either. It was all right. It wasn't yeah. amazing, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fine, so, but yeah, you know, I was I was kind of hoping, you know, God, you're making me want to go back on the NSO now. I was kind of hoping that, especially after January, after another Code Recollection, and and after uh, Prince of Persia, we'd have at least a little bit of a lull. I know we've got Mario and Donkey Kong coming out in a couple of weeks, and now we're more excited for that than ever. And now we're on Nintendo direct watch and there's all these rumors swirling around about uh games that could show up at that and i was really hoping for a little bit of a lull and now we've got yet another game from sunsoft re-releasing on the nintendo switch and this one looks to be the cutest new sunsoft release just ever this new game euphoria 2 with just this adorable like felt it looks like pokemon concierge made into a 2d platformer and it might be one of the most adorable things i've ever seen seth it's very very cute um it's actually yeah like the the euphoria is like a that whole series is like this 30 plus year old series that we never got here in America. So it's a big deal. And, you know, Sunsoft through the arcade archives, uh, you know, series has got a lot of games that have re-released on the switch. So with all of that going on with this, this new game coming out euphoria Two, it had us thinking about the Sunsoft games. We would still love to see on the Nintendo switch. And we're going to count down the ones we want the most this week in our top five. All right, Eric, the top five Sunsoft games that we still need on the Nintendo Switch. What are the rules? Well, for this, we are talking about those Sunsoft titles that we have seen neither hide nor hair on the Nintendo Switch in some form or fashion. Now, a lot of people may be wondering about Sunsoft. There's actually quite a few Sunsoft games already available 
on the Nintendo Switch in various ways, shapes, and forms. That uh, that gimmick special edition re-release that was actually an old Sunsoft game. Uh, we've gotten several through the Arcade Archive series in the form of uh, Markham, Iki, several old Mahjong games, Arabian, and a ton of others. But there are still a large number of games in Sunsoft's incredibly large back catalog that uh, have yet to make their way to modern platforms. And it is those that we are specifically shouting out games that we have no way of experiencing on Nintendo's hybrid platform with uh, bonus points being given to the more the larger amount that Sunsoft had to do with the actual game itself. Any game that Sunsoft had a hand in the development or publishing uh, publishing in was fair game. But again, more points toward games that uh, they had their hands in even more. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of listeners, you know, especially younger listeners might not really be familiar with Sunsoft, but they're very prolific. I mean, they're, they're still around, oh, yes. but very prolific, especially in the eighties and nineties between, um, all the games that they were, like you said, like developing, publishing, porting, they were a prolific, uh, port house. They were, you know, they were porting games to other platforms all the time. I mean, they, uh, they, they really had the, the rule of the roost for a little bit there. And, uh, there were significant, uh, significant uh, moves that they made back then. And again, while they've been yeah. a little you know, less active now uh, between arcade archives and between all this other like movement with, uh, with Sunsoft, it feels like a great opportunity to kind of celebrate them this week on the show. And um, for our number five, we wanted to actually <laughs> shout out a game that is maybe a little less celebrated uh, in Sunsoft's category. Our number five is Fester's quest. <laughs> So back in the early 90s, the Adams Family was actually kind of a big thing. Oh, yeah. The, revive, the revival movies with Raul Julia, Christina Ricci, Angelica Houston, and of course, Christopher Lloyd were super popular. Adams Family and Adams Family Values were, were pretty big deals. And Christopher Lloyd's Uncle Fester was a central part of the first of those revival movies. And because of that, you know, Adam's family and uncle Fester specifically really kind of came back in to the, the modern popular zeitgeist. And so Sunsoft wound up being wound up developing what is effectively the NES, uh, zombies ate my neighbors. Basically. Yeah. It, it is, I mean, pretty, fairly well known in like retro communities as being a bad yes. game. <laughs> but there there was That's actually fair. like like one big reason um that, that we wanted to shout this out. And we both had the same thought when it came to this game. <laughs> we <It's>, did. <laughs> this fe- I mean this really does feel like the sort of thing that limited run games just this feels like it should already have some big limited run games campaign. Like they just have this penchant for like picking up these kind of like underloved, frankly, in a lot of cases, bad games that from the, you know, the, the old era and sort of propping them up and giving them new life. Their Gex is a great example of this, right? 
Yeah, well, Gex is a good example. What I've always, especially with the past year of LRG, doesn't it just really feel like they created this carbon engine to every once in a while go to the island of misfit games right. and pluck another one from obscurity and bring it back into the model? Like, Fester's Quest really feels like one of those games that's just waiting, waiting at the edge of the island of misfit games for lrg to just come uh and pick it up in now i don't know who owns the the adams family ip but honestly i can't imagine it would be too terribly hard to secure that and this is one of those games that it came out kind of at the right time it really is kind of the definition of a cult classic it was weirdly popular when it first came out this like it just has the vibes of a game that feels like it's on its way back, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, it just feels like it's poised for that. Like, if you, I'm not saying that, um, I'm not trying to purport that, uh, that this is happening, that the LRG has, we, we know nothing, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it just feels right. This is John Snow over here. Yeah. This, this feels like it is, in that sort of plumbers don't wear ties, you know, I mean, heck, they, exactly. They did zombies ate my neighbors, you know, like it, like it feels like it's in that sort of wheelhouse. So I would, I would be, again, I don't know if it's the kind of thing that would excite me, but I can see it happening. And that's what gets it on the list. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like as far as games that we think might actually happen, this is probably the most likely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, going into our number four, you know, we mentioned Euphoria two, um, and mm-hmm. we we even mentioned that it's part of a uh, a pretty long running uh, series for Sunsoft. As a matter of fact, like the main character uh, of that game was sort of Sunsoft's mascot for a little bit. They were clearly uh, very proud of that character. Belongs to this uh, this video game series called Hebereke, I think is how it's pronounced. And yeah, Hebereke, um, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and so. It would be cool to just get the other ones on on uh, on Switch. So our number four is just the Hebereke series. <laughs> yeah. It looked like there was some party games, some quiz games, some racing stuff in there. Looked like they threw this adorable little penguin character and his, you know, likewise animal friends into just a ton of really varied types of games for a couple of years there. Yeah. And especially seeing this new art style that they're giving euphoria to. I mean, it's honestly, we're already sold. Just go ahead and apply it to the rest of their games with this, with this adorable little mascot. I'll buy the plush. I'll buy the keychains. Uh, just give me more of it. Thank you, please. Yeah. Yeah. And they, there was a bunch of like uh, stuff that has come to other uh, Nintendo consoles. They, they wound up uh, re-releasing the first one on the Wii virtual console after like, cause it was originally supposed to come uh, to North America and European regions uh, alongside gimmick actually. And, uh, and wound up not happening. Um, they did re-release it, like I said, on Wii. And then we also got Sugoi Hebereke. Uh, which is a fighting game uh, and translates roughly to awesome Hebereke, which is awesome. Um, and, uh, and that awesome was, Hebereke is awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's a fighting game. And it was released via the Japanese um, NSO. So you can play that technically on switch, but the rest of this series of which there is about a dozen games um, that they've never made their way over. So it'd be really cool to see. 
Bring it on. I, lo- I love that and character. I, I do too. And I, I feel like Sunsoft is doing this as like testing the waters. Right. Like if, if this one winds up being successful, I think they'll go back into that. Okay. Hebereki, we're all in on this character. Let's go ahead and do what we've done with this game and reapply it to, to all the other games in their series. Uh, well, they may not go that far, but I, I do think my, you know, I, I think that uh, my thought that they're, they're using this game as a testing water for the character or testing the water for the character again, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Maybe, yeah. Or or even just, you know, like bundled some of the old ones in a retro collection. That'd be really cool. And, uh, and segues as well, actually, into our number three, because that's actually exactly the treatment that we would love to see done with the Sunsoft Batman games. <laughs> um, our number three is the Sunsoft Batman games, of which there are a lot in the like yes. late 80s, early 90s, even going into the 2000s. They kind of were the Batman people. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people may be familiar with Batman on the NES based off of the 1989 movie with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. That game is still fairly well regarded to this day. It's something of a cult classic. Not as many people are aware of the fact that Sunsoft also ported that game to, well, a version of that game to the Game Boy. A version of that game also wound up on the Genesis. And they even did uh, like a like a Night of the Joker, Return of the Joker or something like that. Yeah, Return like of an the additional Joker. Based game. on the yeah, movie. Yeah, Return of the Joker. Yeah. Uh, for the Super Nintendo and also for the game. Like there were a lot of Sunsoft Batman games out there. And like WB has the license. They own DC Comics at this point. So... I don't think that that would be hard to settle on, but yeah, especially just, just if they added that NES Batman, which again, for many fans of retro gaming, I think would be enough to get them interested because of, uh, the, 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 how well that game is essentially aged in the minds of many retro enthusiasts, but you could even kind of go a step further and add a bonus game to that collection in the form of the Genesis Superman game that Sunsoft did as well. So there you go. There you go, Sunsoft. But uh, just the Batman games alone would be a really cool hit of nostalgia. Batman is never not going to be cool. So a collection featuring the Dark Knight, I think, I mean, would still do pretty well, especially over here in America. I think so. Yeah, I think I think it'd be great. I'd love to see that. Just yeah, I mean, we've seen some success. Like they port they they ported those old uh, Star Wars beat 'em ups, like Super Star Wars, and the various yep. versions of that. Um, you know, th- those have seen some success. There is a market for that. So, um, I I would personally love to see it. I have a lot of nostalgia for for those old beat 'em up Batman games. And uh, like I said, Sunsoft for many years there w- w- kind of was the Batman people. So you could really you know, bundle in all of those games and have a real nice package there. Yeah. I would certainly love to see it. You guys know how much I enjoy superhero stuff in any way, shape or form. Uh, But going into our number two, uh, this is the only one on the list that Sunsoft wasn't like the primary developer for. However, they did spearhead the Super Nintendo and Genesis ports of Lemmings. Mm -hmm. Our number two is lemmings and for a couple reasons a lemmings had one heck of a moment back in the early 90s between the pc version between the super nintendo and the genesis 
it felt like there was a year, basically like an entire year of Lemmings where I did nothing but just see that. I saw the commercials on TV. You see, you felt like you saw the games everywhere. And kind of like Fester's Quest, I feel like Lemmings really is primed for a comeback. And DMA Design was the original developer, but I really mm-hmm. like the I really like the the stamp that Sunsoft put on the Super Nintendo and especially the Genesis version of these games. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of neat because when we were doing research, um, you know, I think the Super Nintendo version, first of all, is the one that a lot of people, especially fans of this show, um, yes. will have played. That's the one that I played, you know, when when we were kids. It's like that Same. was yeah. that's the one that everybody I think is kind of familiar with. Um, and they they included like in the Genesis version of the game, they included a Sunsoft difficulty that is exclusive <laughs> to that version, which is a fun. difficulty mode, like an actual Sunsoft level difficulty. That's so great. Very fun. Very cute. There's even a speaking of Hebereke, there's even a Hebereke like level that there's that they have in the game that plays the Hebereke theme, which is really cool and cute. Uh, so I don't know, even though these are ports, like they really made those ports their own. Yeah. And again, Lemmings just feels like one of those games that is kind of primed for, I don't want to necessarily say a comeback, but in terms of like, because of how big retro and nostalgia is these days, Lemmings just feels like a very untapped resource at this point. And with Sunsoft, you know, even in its more modern iteration, really trying to, to come back, uh, Uh, I think that that's one of the things that they should go with. This is another thing where um, the, the current IP holder is unfortunately Sony computer entertainment. So if it did happen, it would probably just be over at the blue brand. But if they're somehow able to wrangle it, if they're somehow able to make it a, uh, a reality, then we would love to see lemmings uh, come back on the Nintendo switch. Just, adding a few quality of life updates, I think could really, really make that game sing for modern audiences. Yeah. And, and, and like DMA design, that's a whole other can of worms. It's a very interesting company to research because they made games like, you know, they made lemmings. They also made space station, Silicon Valley, uh, body harvest. And then they would wind up becoming a little developer known as rockstar North. Uh, so, and the rest, uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. So interesting, interesting studio behind lemmings who, you know, eventually the, they would give you grand theft auto. Um, we got there in the end. Uh, okay. But <laughs> we got there in the end. <laughs> before exactly. we, uh, before we get into our number one though, Eric, do we have some honorable mentions? Uh, we have just a couple that we're going to shout out and kind of similarly to our Batman collection idea, Uh, I mean, if we're going for retro video game collections from developer Sunsoft taking IP that's owned by Warner Brothers, we actually have a separate idea from Batman. Sunsoft also, ironically enough and coincidentally enough, developed quite a few Looney Tunes games in their time featuring the likes of Daffy Duck, Yosemite Sam, Speedy Gonzalez, and others. And again, that's kind of like Looney Tunes are still relatively contemporary, so I think that could also be something that they could do. That'd be pretty neat. 
Yeah, all kinds of stuff. I also want to mention, too, before uh, people call us out for this, Chameleon Twist 1 and 2 uh, absolutely would have made our list. However, Sunsoft was only the Japanese region publisher of those games. They did not develop those games, nor did they publish them in other regions. So Sunsoft really has nothing that significant to do with Chameleon Twist outside distribution. So that's why those games didn't make our list. If you Google... But like the games are pretty cool. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Like, if you Google Sunsoft games, you're gonna see chameleon twist pop up but if you do a little bit more research like we do uh you'll learn that (laughs) that it's not really a sunsoft game so that's why they weren't on the list just wanted to say that um during the research i found this little series that they made called out live i think or outlive i don't know um it's a two game series that was on uh pc and i think uh playstation and it's like this kind of like dungeon like strategy game where you pilot a mech and it's very like anime very like gundam but it's first yeah. person um, Dude, for its time it looked gorgeous yeah it's really cool it i love the stunning uh, for the late 80s man i love the the character art like when you're at yeah. the at the hub there's like these anime characters and shopkeepers and stuff to upgrade your your guns and stuff it was kind of cool to look at and uh i especially love the the title for the second one out outlive be eliminate yesterday <laughs> be uh, <laughs> <laughs> All your outlive are belong to us. Yeah, pretty good. So I, I would just kind of like to play those. I don't, I'm sure it's never going to happen, but I would like to play those. <laughs> I would too. I also want to shout out like this weird on rail shooter they did in, uh, I think the late eighties, early nineties called freedom force, mm-hmm. which it looked like the predecessor to stuff like the Aerosmith revolution and the Terminator, uh, I think you could even use the NES Zapper in oh, yeah. the you on the to. NES version of yeah. Yeah. So I would love to see that come back, and you'd be able to use like the gyro controls on the Nintendo Switch uh, controller to be able to you know control. Oh, just just a retro style on rail shooter would make my nostalgic heart sing. Personally, I would like to see it. Yeah, that that would be cool. We have Spy Hunter. Uh, here on the list. It was a little funny. I, I didn't, I don't think I realized that spy hunter was like not on switch. It's like, yeah. come on, come on now. Yeah. That's one of those classic games. That's one of those legendary games. And for that specifically, I do think like a reimagining is in order. I know they had that game with the rock on the PS two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I think if you want to try to bring back spy hunter, weirdly enough, the NES version of Spy Hunter was actually super rad. So use that as a base if you ask me. But I, I do think it's time. I think it's been long enough. I think it's time for a new Spy Hunter game. I'd like to see that. Uh, and then just very quickly, uh, Bay Route, I think it's called or something. It's a very Contra-esque run and gun style game, but also looks decidedly super rad. And I would like to see that come back too. Oh, yeah. I mean, y'all... You don't even know like how many games Sunsoft has made. Like if you dig into their history, they have made so, so many games. And like, again, there's been great work done between arcade archives, these ports of games like trip world and, you know, and gimmick and stuff in this upcoming euphoria too. Like there's a bunch yeah, of Bitwave stuff. helped get us gimmick back. And I'm yeah. very grateful to them for that. That's a really cool game. I'm glad I finally had the option to play it. Uh, but to get into our number one, In doing research, we found a lot of really interesting, really cool games, but there was 
one little series that that truly stuck out to Seth and I, and something that uh, I don't believe either of us have ever had the option of playing any of these, even though the original one did come out in the West, but there are currently three games in this little series, all of which we would love to see return. Uh, it's called Albert Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And it is this really intriguing mix of it feels like almost Fire Emblem meets Final Fantasy or like Final Fantasy Tactics meets core Final Fantasy. It's this really interesting and really uh, uniquely, uh, really unique aesthetic Super Nintendo, Super Famicom franchise that uh, just really, really stuck out to us. Really striking battle animations, the way that you move across the world map while you're battling monsters. And the, you know, it, it almost looks like what maybe like Golden Sun might've looked like on the Super Nintendo kind of. I could see that. Yeah. Well, the, the only version of Albert Odyssey that we ever got here was the, they made a, a version of it. Like the first one was basically like remade for the Sega Saturn. And we got that, um, as Albert Odyssey legend of the LDN, I think. And, um, we, yeah. we got that, but Albert Odyssey, like one and two, uh, we never properly got. And yeah, it's like a, it is like a, like a turn-based JRPG, but it's, it's pretty interesting. They were definitely doing some, some new stuff. And I think it was supposed to be positioned as sort of a fire emblem, uh, competitor, but yeah, that's what um, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This feels you. You can kind of feel like Sunsoft, um, at least at the, at the time, like felt like this was kind of their thing. Like they were trying to kind of make a stamp um, on this market, and they unfortunately didn't get to go too far. But these games are pretty well regarded, and it's a shame that uh, that they haven't kind of had a, another shot at life. I feel like the sort of retro loving RPG loving market of today, uh, the, you know, the market that's eating up all these HD 2d ports and stuff like that uh, would be receptive to Albert Odyssey coming back. Yeah. When it comes to retro RPG stuff like Albert Odyssey, just, just barely missed the boat on the, the real big surge of RPG popularity that the genre got to experience because of, you know, games like final fantasy seven, which also celebrated its anniversary uh, this past week. But the in retrospect, there's a lot of enthusiasts going back to things like the Super Nintendo and looking at games like, you know, Terranigma and Live Alive and RPGs from that time that really never got their due. And this kind of feels buried even beneath games like that. But in looking into it, it seems like super interesting. And we would absolutely love to see that game brought back for modern audiences. We think that game, even just as a re-release, I think would be good enough. But if you give it like kind of the HD 2D treatment, or even if you just add a couple, uh, add a couple quality of life improvements, a couple accessibility options, I think there is a real potential market to bring this game to the switch and the modern platforms. It looks really cool. I honestly uh, recommend you guys check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Look into it uh, for sure. But uh, before we, we wrap up here, let's go down our list one more time. Our number five was Fester's quest. Our number four is basically everything else from Hebereki. Yeah. Our number three is the Sunsoft Batman games in a nice collection. That'd be good. 
A very nice collection. Our number two is Lemmings, or are Lemmings? Is Lemmings? Are Lemmings? <laughs> yeah, grammar. And our number one <laughs> is Albert Odyssey. And we would love to hear what you guys think out there. Honestly, we didn't even know about games like Gimmick, and uh, like we just got Trip World uh, yep. recently released on the Switch, and that's another Sunsoft game. So a lot of games that you know, this market is unfamiliar with. If you guys are aware of even more hidden gems from Sunsoft's back catalog that we should be shouting out, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Show your Sunsoft love for this legendary developer that for some reason just isn't remembered in the same breath as a lot of other studios of the day, despite their ridiculously massive catalog, many of which are quality titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, Eric, it's too bad that we don't often see re-releases of sort of obscure or underappreciated games from systems past. And, you know, even given something of a, of a marquee placement in Nintendo slate, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a shame that that never happens. Uh, no, of course, uh, another code recollection came out. You've been playing a bunch of it. <laughs> yes, I certainly have been playing a bunch of it. I was very excited when this one got announced at this past year's September Nintendo direct. And I could not wait to get my hands. I could not wait to jump act. Uh, back into the the feet, the shoes, the, the brain, the body, the flannel. <laughs> yes, the flannel of uh, one Ashley Mizuki Robbins. And after running credits on another code recollection, I am ready to give you my full thoughts on my entire experience of it. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and do that right now. If you have never joined us before for an all-in review discussion, here's how it works. Uh, first and foremost, we do not issue numbered scores for our reviews. Sorry, Metacritic slash Open Critic. Yeah. Um, if we did that, Travis touchdown on your microphone would, you know, slice <laughs> us in half. Yeah, he's saying moe. He's not saying 10 out of 10 or anything like that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so uh, we don't do that. Um, but what we do is we give you our 100% honest thoughts. We get very in-depth and we chat about these games and let you make your decision as smart, intelligent people. Um, video games are, are, we feel, too complicated to boil down to a, a number and then move on with our lives. Um, another thing we do is um is we break up our conversations our review discussions into parts so we're going to talk about the story the presentation the music and the gameplay and we do that um for ease of talking and for ease of your listening um so eric again um you know i haven't played this uh you're the one that's going to be taking point on this review i'm excited to hear your yes. thoughts um because to be honest with you i i played the first trace memory um, yeah. when it came out here on DS and I remember yeah. liking it when it came mm -hmm. out, good game. Um, and then I played the demo for this and it kind of unsold me <laughs> to be honest. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on how it turned out. Yeah. The, the first trace memory game was a standout title for me on the original DS, the way that the game really cleverly used the unique aspects of the DS in terms of the, the puzzle solving is just something that has really always stuck with me, specifically one uh, memory, ironically enough, that I have of the game where 
I just I thought it was one of the most brilliant uses of any piece of gaming hardware ever. You actually literally had to close the DS mm-hmm. in order to stamp something in order to solve one of the puzzles in trace memory. And that was just kind of just a microcosm of the the different and unique ways that it implemented the DS's features in order to uh, in order, you know, brought it into the, the puzzle solving and. I really enjoyed it. Admittedly, when it came to the narrative, I had almost completely forgotten about it. Right. And we had the the West never actually got the follow-up, which was released uh, ultimately on the Nintendo Wii. And this game, Another Code Recollection, which was announced back in September during uh, Nintendo's 2023 September Direct, was simultaneously announced essentially as a bundle, mm-hmm. but also as kind of a cohesive melding of both of the games. This is not a typical game collection where you can say, oh, I want to play this game or oh, I want to play this game. This is an experience that basically turns two games into a single ongoing experience. And I was I was interested to see kind of how that played out because that also meant you know a a few things from a a narrative point of view and a few things from you know just trying to decide how they were going to tie things together from a gameplay perspective and you know just well stuff that we'll get into frankly but uh but yeah if you've never checked out trace memory or another code as it was known in the east it is uh you know a, a a twosome of games following a young girl named Ashley Mizuki Robbins on her quest to kind of, you know, recover a lot of her memories, uncover the truth about certain things and, you know, solve a little mysteries, AKA some kind of uh, new age Nancy Drew style. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I, I want to, well, and I know that you were saying, I feel the same way. Um, about the first trace memory, like you said, we never got the second one here, so I hadn't played it. Um, but the first one feels like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it feels like a trace memory, I guess. Like I, I feel like I, I don't remember a lot of what happened with that game, but from what I understand, and I don't know how much you can speak to this, having a not played the second one before and B not having a great recollection of the first one, but I've heard that they actually changed the story like significantly, um, to make it kind of fit into this new mold. Cause the game is like the actual, you know, setup of the game is quite different. And so they, from what I understand, um, actually had to kind of reformat the whole thing. Like the, um, the reviewer, I don't remember the, the man's name, but the reviewer for IGN was talking about how when he had played the second game originally on Wii, it took him like 30 hours or something like that. And he's like, with this, I played through both games in like 13 hours. So yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like it's changed pretty dramatically. Uh, yes. And, you know, uh, again, a lot of that has to do with taking two disparate experiences and then kind of melding them into kind Mm -hmm. of a single, basically like two act game effectively. Uh, and I am, you know, I am excited to talk about it, but I I was excited about this interview specifically because I think another code recollection is a very good example of why we don't do numbered scores is mm. because I do ultimately have some pretty complicated thoughts, some pretty positive thoughts about this game, but also some fairly strong negative thoughts 
about this game. And I know we always start with narrative. Mm-hmm. And I do want to preface everything that I'm about to say with the game does deal with a decent amount of child harm. Okay. Uh, you meet a young ghost boy fairly early on in the first part of the game. And that, you know, what happened to that young boy winds up becoming a, a pretty big part of the mystery that you're unraveling for that first half and, you know, maybe even some stuff beyond that. So I will say, I do know that that is a trigger point for a lot of people. So I just wanted to preface everything and say, if that's already a deal breaker for you, then the game does do a little bit with child harm. You know, it's certainly not, it's certainly not graphic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if that's something that makes you uncomfortable, it is, it it is properly sad. uh, What, what happens to, um, you know, that and maybe other characters throughout the course of the game. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. That's good to know. Um, you, you had mentioned this, this character Ashley is kind of at the the heart of it. And just yep. from what I had played um, from, from the demo and, and, you know, kicking into the, the story of, of the first game, um, the setup is like, she's, she's going to like, like meet her dad or something on an island. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. The The setup for the first half of the game is, I think, really striking. So the, the setup for the first part of the narrative is it is the day before Ashley Robbins' 14th birthday. Her father, who her entire life she thought dead, just sent her a letter saying, I want you to come to Blood Edward Island. I want to meet you. Um, so that is kind of at the heart of of this original mystery is Ashley is going to this ominously named place to meet a father that she had thought dead up until yesterday. And then immediately upon getting to the Island, her aunt Jessica winds up going missing and she almost immediately runs into the ghost of a young boy. So very quickly out the gate, you have a very large multi-tiered mystery to unravel, you know, what's going on with her father? You know, why wasn't he there? What's going on with him now? Where did her aunt go? Why did she disappear? What's going on with this young ghost boy? And what is the mystery behind this device called the DAS, the dual another system, uh, which some people on Twitter have been kind of jokingly referring to as the switch Two, because (laughs) similarly to in the original DS, uh, Ashley's father sends her essentially effectively a DS that is modeled to be a high tech instrument and used cleverly in all the puzzle solving in the game as, you know, kind of a, just a funny little end joke, very much how, you know, like uh, Dr. Egad uses like the virtual boy totally. in Luigi's Mansion and stuff. Yeah. So Ashley has this, instead of a DS this time, she has a very high tech looking version of a DS, of a uh, Switch Lite. That's called the, <laughs> that's called the dual another system this time around that is biometrically linked to her, only works for her. And uh, so you've got all this stuff going on with this young ghost boy. You've got the mystery behind her father. You've got the mystery of her missing aunt and you've got to figure out how in the world this, this biometrically linked uh, device 
you know, ties into to everything that's going on on this island. So right out the gate, there's actually quite a bit of of intrigue. Uh, and I will say, to the game's strength, when it comes to the narrative, I do think that both the first and second parts of the game do a very good job in terms of uh, breadcrumbs, just the right amount of information at the right time to keep you hooked, just the right amount of reveals, the right pacing of, of information, or the right pacing of what you need to know to kind of just keep you going, just to keep you on the hook. I think the game does that extraordinarily well from a narrative standpoint. There are a couple things, a couple issues I have with the, the dialogue. There are some there's some weird, weirdly written parts of the game. Uh, maybe a good microcosm would just be when Ashley would walk into a room with pots, pans, and clearly a bunch of cooking utensils on the wall. She would just walk into the room and go like, oh, where am I now? You know? <laughs> so okay. there is there is some of that like weird, janky cringe going on but overall a lot of the the narrative and the interplay because it is a very character driven story uh but a lot of that which is you know very much at the heart of mystery narratives i think that's very well paced very well done and ultimately uh, i think the payoff is really good because again this is a narrative told in two parts and i certainly don't want to spoil any more of the narrative for the first half uh of the game but i will say once you get to the second half of the game, it is now two years later. Okay. Ashley is now 16. And at this point in her life, she is trying to cope with many of the changes that have come into her life since the events of the first game. And she's kind of coming to grips with things, but a lot of new challenges have begun to arise. And she winds up finding herself at this campsite. Uh, which doubles as the work site for uh, someone in her family. And then, you know, other things kind of start to, to come up as of that. Uh, her, her backpack is immediately stolen. She winds up running into uh, this time a live boy who turns out to have some mysteries that need solving uh as far as he goes, there are some some weirdness going on at this camp slash job site, and and Ashley winds up having to do her Nancy Drew thing again. Uh, I will say, for the second half, I do think the narrative. There are a few points in the narrative where I, I think it suspends. It asks you to suspend your disbelief just a little bit too much. There's a couple mm. points in the second half of the game where it's literally something to where I'm sorry, you know, this terrible thing has happened and now you have to deal with it. Then quite literally gets a phone call. Oh, cool. Everything turned out fine and everything's <laughs> good now. <laughs> wow. Like the most blatant kind of deus ex machina, you know clean wrap up sort exactly of thing. yeah so there are a couple moments like that but uh it is two kind of very distinct uh stories but the the way they thread in and out of each other it is you know very much two halves of a cert uh two halves of a single experience but the way that they individually 
kind of wrap up, I think is very satisfying. And then the way the second narrative specifically wraps up and then wraps that up with what happened in the first game, I think that is also well done. There's a pretty lengthy series, a lengthy sequence at the end of the game that felt kind of straight out of something like an Agatha Christie novel to Mm. where, you know, Here's here's laid out why everything happened, exactly why it happened, and the motivations behind the people who did the thing. Um, so, but I I do think that 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 was ultimately well handled. The the narrative, I think, you know, it's in the first half specifically. I do think is stronger. I think there were a couple parts in the second half. It doesn't get going quite as fast the narrative in the second half doesn't really start hitting its stride until the final couple chapters there's enough there to again keep you on the hook but uh, it does feel like a little bit of a lull compared to the first half but ultimately as as scatterbrained as i'm afraid you know this portion of the review is my final thoughts on the narrative are ultimately i think it was well written satisfying wrapped up nicely I think the first half was notably better. Uh, I do have a couple problems with the pacing and the, uh, uh, you know, kind of the the tonality and the the structure of the second half. But ultimately, I think that this is a story that uh, I think this is a story that was very well structured and. You know, I know I said that was final thoughts, but I do also want to make mention of the fact that I do also very much respect the strength of theming Mm. in this story. You know, we we find so many stories out there that are just kind of written. Things happen and then more things happen. But there was very, very clearly thoughts behind the specific themes that that the writers wanted to touch on in these games and those themes are continued to to be strengthened and continue to be revisited throughout the narratives in multiple ways the two main themes of another code recollection are just memory which may seem obvious but this idea of memory and exploring thoughts behind why characters may not retain memories and how memories even work and how much they impact our life and just uh, honestly a really good analysis of the idea of memory. Some people may, you know, roll their eyes, the thought of uh, an amnesiac protagonist. And I, I do get that. But when it comes to characters having to regain memories in this game, I do think it is incredibly well handled from that aspect and does actually make a lot of sense from a narrative standpoint. And the other big theme that is very prevalent throughout the entire game is the imperfect relationship between a parent and their child. Mm. Uh, That is something that is very, very often revisited throughout the entirety of the experience. So a, a lot of respect because again, those two themes in particular were very clearly a focal point of the story and were visited multiple times in multiple ways uh, across this game. So that was very, very clearly a big, big, um, uh, you know, just a big point, a, a big, uh, oh my God, what's the theme I'm focus looking for? A theme? Big focus. There we yeah. go. Uh, of of the story. But uh, yeah, I, I know 
well, when it comes to the narrative, the narrative is a big part of this game because part. it is because yeah. it is ultimately you know very much like a three D point and click adventure. This game, in large respect, is going to live and die by the strength of its story, and I do think that overall, it does a very good job. It the story itself is a little imperfect, but I came away from the narrative feeling very good about that part of the game's execution. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of, of what this game is. Well, and, and I will say too, just, um, just for, for clarity, um, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but looking at this game from the outside, looking in, like if you're a lay person seeing another code yeah. for the first time, um, you might be forgiven for thinking this is like a new life is strange game or something like that. It does um, kind of have those vibes. And mm-hmm. there were a couple times where I had like just very brief flashbacks to playing True Colors, which sure. were, uh, which we reviewed here on the show a couple of years ago at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, this game does have a, a, a fairly different aesthetic. But uh, but yeah, I, I I think that you certainly could be forgiven for thinking that this game took a lot of inspiration from that. And honestly, this version of the game may very well have. Yeah, well, well, and I, I want to make a point to to make sure that it's clear to the the listener um, that uh, that that there is not, as far as I'm aware, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like branching narrative or player no. choice or anything like that, like you would see in a Life is Strange. This is a set story. Yes, the narrative is incredibly linear. the <laughs> the The only real element like that is there are some times when you're talking to characters where you get to choose the next topic that you talk about, but that's really it. All the dialogue in the game is kind of mandatory when it comes to that. So, and weirdly, even when some of those choices pop up, you only get a single choice. So that's just, it, that's kind of weird, but no, there's not any, uh, like you'd see in a life is strange or like you'd see in a telltale game where if you make a choice, you know, this character will remember that, right. You know, stuff, stuff like that doesn't exist here. It's, it's very much a, a, a linear A to B story, uh, that's very structured and, uh, you know, very intentionally told. Mm-hmm. That's good. Good to, to be aware of. Well, um, I guess moving into the presentation, um, this is, I mean, maybe like the biggest thing that they had to kind of like restructure. Cause you know, this was a DS game. So yeah. spoilers, it didn't look like this on the Nintendo DS. They had to make <laughs> this a 3d sort of like over the shoulder third person yes. adventure game. Yes. So that was part of turning this into a single experience was the cohesion of the gameplay. You take a series that was split between the Nintendo DS and the Nintendo Wii, and you basically create a single gameplay engine to encapsulate the entire, uh, the entire experience. The, the presentation, I will say, just positives right out the gate. The game did run at an incredibly steady frame rate the entire time I played the game. It may have even been a rock solid 60. It was, Mm. you know, admittedly the character animations were kind of hard to tell, but it ran at a steady frame rate. I never really encountered a bug and I never encountered a crash from a performance standpoint. 
the game ran flawlessly the entire time. So I will say that right out the gate. Because while the character models look fine, Ashley's character model specifically looks fine, and many of the indoor environments are passable, there is a lot about this game that just frankly looks bad. Like, mm-hmm. really bad. And I hate to say that, but especially in a lot of the outdoor environments, of which the second half of the game is mostly outdoors. Like, it, I'm not somebody, I grew up on the NES, so low graphical fidelity is not something that immediately strikes me. And that being said, I was running around this game and it just, it really struck me how low fidelity this game looks and i mean ultimately it's not something that's going to affect the gameplay necessarily but when i say this the logs were literally octagons (laughs) i'm saying the rocks were literally 10 polygons Mm. i'm saying the many of the outdoor environments in this game just look I hate to say like we era. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, kinda. And if you're doing this kind of remake for 2024, when we have games, I mean, we just had a PlayStation state of play a couple days ago. Like I understand the Nintendo switch compared to those pieces of hardware, but in 2024 to release a game that looks so far behind what we're coming to expect, I I couldn't let the game slide in that regard. So I've got to call it like it is. Again, it's not something that's going to affect the gameplay, and it's not something that, you know, what was a game breaker for me, but, you know, this is an honest review, and I've got to grade you based on what I see, and what I see was, frankly, very unimpressive in that regard. And even beyond that, many of the character animations, like even though there was motion capture in the credits, many of the character motions, frankly, looked unnatural. Like many of the characters in the game just learned how to run yesterday. It was, it was really bizarre. So from, from a graphical presentation standpoint, there's a lot about this game that's, that already feels incredibly outdated, which, you know, you kind of hate to see, unfortunately. Like I said, from a performance standpoint, ran beautifully. And, you know, I don't mind the the art direction. Uh, I do think that given the, given the previous games, I think, you know, kind of this bright, colorful, pseudo-anime, cartoonish look was a good choice. You know, that being said, you've got to follow through with it. And... You know, ultimately, the, the the presentation just is not up to snuff in a large, large portion of this game. the The indoor environments, like I said, are mostly passable, but uh, but yeah, hmm. that's unfortunate. Yeah, I noticed that playing the the demo too. Um, the demo is just the opening of of the first game, really, and you're in this kind yeah. of foresty environment in the beginnings of the island. There's a little bit of the indoor stuff, but yeah. Um, we was exactly the comparison I was going to make. Like it does, like the textures are very low res and it's not even really doing like 
um, the, the Skyward Sword thing where it's taking advantage of low res textures and making it this kind of watercolory look. Yeah. Like it looks like maybe it's flirting with that, but you know, like th- this, it almost confirms what I sort of knew to be true about this, which is that this project did not have a high budget, <laughs> you know, they didn't have a lot to work with here. I don't think that wouldn't surprise me, but, uh, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. It is. Now, when it comes to the presentation, one thing I will say is the end credits sequence of another code recollection is phenomenal. Okay. It's legitimately amazing. Once you actually finish the story and the credits start rolling, there is this wonderfully like kind of hand drawn Adam. You know how it looks when like individual sketches are animated. Uh, they've got this wonderfully beautifully animated sequence uh, that that plays. That's frankly my favorite thing about the game. Wow! And it's just it's absolutely stunning. Uh, it is incredibly spoilery because part of the end credit sequence is one of those you know very quick kind of status updates on many of the 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 other characters within the game. You know where are they now? Kind of deal. Sure. Uh, but the end credit sequence is, is genuinely special in this game. And I, I did want to shout that out. Whoever did that aspect of this game deserves their flowers and I will send them some. Nice. Very good. Well, I, you know, I, um, I don't, I don't want to rush you off presentation. Did, did you have any more final thoughts on presentation? No, not really. Actually, okay. I guess, I guess we can talk about the, the performances here just okay. very briefly. Uh, the audio performances, all the dialogue in the game is voice acted, which is good to hear. You know, like if you're running around just clicking on stuff, um, you know, they won't get into fully voice acted conversations. But but all the required dialogue in the game is all fully voice acted from every character in the game, uh, which is cool to see. And by and large, the performances are good, uh, especially from the young lady who performs Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the voice of Ashley is honestly exactly how I always imagined she'd sound. She is a very good cast for Ashley, and especially in many of the more, uh, I guess, shall we say, emotional moments. Sure. I think she does a very good job. Uh, there are a couple uh, kind of off moments when it comes to uh, some of the cast. Again, by and large, the performances are good, but there are a couple members of the cast that can't really believably carry the more emotional moments. And it does sometimes, especially in the second half of the game, come off as unintentionally funny in a few <laughs> brief moments. Okay. Uh, but but overall, again, all the required dialogue throughout this entire 12, 13-hour experience is all fully voice acted, and most of the performances is are good. Which is, you know, it's very nice to, uh, like, if you want to speed through the dialogue options, you can. You can set it to autoplay, like in many games we see that that kind of quality of life feature pop up now, where you can just set it to autoplay. But if you want to just speed through the dialogue, you can. But honestly, I recommend, you know, listening to these characters and listening to them bounce off of each other because uh, the, the voice actors did a, a pretty good job in here as well. Nice. Very, very good. I was trying to look up the IMDB. I couldn't find the IMDB page for this because I was curious what the voice cast was like. But yeah, um, I looked it up when I was watching the the credits. It was a name that I was unfamiliar with. Okay. And I, I did very much like that. Honestly, the entire cast 
uh, from the American voice actors, especially was not a lot of names that I recognized, cool. you know, not a lot of Laura Bailey's and Travis Willingham's and Troy Baker's mm. and Steve Bloom's, you know, it was a lot of, of, of unknown names, which uh, you and I have both mentioned that we really like to see. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Well, I, um, I, I wanted to pivot you cause, cause you know, normally we talk about music next. The only piece of music from this game that I've heard beyond just what I heard in the demo, which was fine. It was kind of giving me, you know, what it was reminding me of is giving me some like, um, some like Joe Hisaishi vibes a little bit, like Studio Ghibli vibes a little bit. Kind of, um, yeah. Some like kind of wilting piano stuff, but you, you linked in our discord, yes. the, like end credits song. Yes. And that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> So the the end credit song, which is uh, titled The Place I Call Home, is, I think, a genuinely great and lovely song and does a lot to enhance that already great end credit sequence, which is, you know, kind of why I was I wanted to try to save the end credit sequence to last just so I could pivot into that song. Sure. Uh, I do recommend checking that song out. If you look up nothing else from this game, look up uh, to The Place I Call Home. I will say be careful about... Uh, which version you bring up, because if you do mm. bring up the actual end credits, like just a, uh, a a video capture of the end credits, again, that is very spoilery. Good to know. So, um, but yeah, the song itself is really, really good. And far and away, far and away, the high point of the music of Another Code Recollection. In addition to having a really great song in that aspect, it also has one of maybe my most hated songs on the <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I mentioned that the second half of the game occurs at this kind of campsite area. There is a, a, a I guess, kind of goofy movie style, you know, jamboree. Buster's Possum Park? Kind of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, there, there's not like an actual animatronic band or anything, mm -hmm. but there is an actual theme song akin to that that plays in one of the buildings on loop, on repeat. And it is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I got to look this up I mean, now. <laughs> oh God, it's so bad. It's so bad. But... I was I was really happy to to hear the to the place I call home because to be completely honest, when it comes to the music and the entire rest of the the game, and this was something I was actively trying to listen to, and the words that kept coming to my mind were this is just music I feel like I'd be happy to hear if I were riding in an elevator. Mm. Yeah. Like it it wasn't necessarily good music. But it was better than no music. And occasionally there is no music. But the music didn't really come off as special at all. It just felt like decent elevator music most of the time. Um, and, you know, just because of how much dialogue and, and narrative there is in the game, a lot of the runtime will be taken up with characters talking to each other and mm -hmm. actual, you know, spoken human dialogue. So. You know, the amount of the, the amount of gameplay and the amount of game time that you would genuinely hear, you know, songs is is not as much as, as you would think. Sure. However, again, just like the just like the presentation aspect, I just I gotta 
just like with that, I had to call it like I see it with this. I got to call it like I hear it. If you can make it to the end credits, there's a banger there, but you got to deal with a whole lot of mediocre leading up to that. Wow. Yeah. That that was sort of the vibe I got from the demo. It was like, eh, like, like I said, may, maybe some light, you know, kind of Joe, he says she inspiration. I could kind of see what maybe they were going for, but nothing sticky about it or special about it whatsoever. If, from what I've heard, if you had told me, that, you know, you've already kind of mentioned that you think the game was low budget. If mm-hmm. you had told me that most of the ambient moment to moment music in the game was just taken from like an expensive public domain library or something, right. I'd 100% believe you. Yeah. It may well have been. Like I said, may it may well have been. Yeah. The whole, the whole project feels a little, little low, low budge to me, unfortunately. Well, um, I guess to pivot into gameplay, you know, normally we say like, oh, gameplay is like the biggest part. But in this, the story probably is, but I I am curious to know what's going on with the gameplay here. Well, again, this is a a kind of two-part point-and-click adventure. So a lot of the gameplay is going to be solving these puzzles that, you know, you come across every once in a while. The, The puzzles are essentially there to break up the monotony of the constant dialogue. But I will say... This was something that I was really specifically looking to just because the few memories that I have of the original were of how uniquely it used the the Nintendo DS's unique features to play directly into the puzzle solving. Uh, so I was I was very interested to see how this game was going to do that for the Nintendo Switch. And to be fair, there are some very unique puzzle solving aspects that honestly could really only be done with the Nintendo Switch uh, very quickly. And I think this was part of the demo, the stool. The stool, man. That <laughs> stool. I, so, yeah, let me ask So let me ask you about the stool. The stool is one of the things, and I talked about this on the podcast when the demo came out. I was playing that demo, and I get to this stool, and the setup of the stool is there's a key inside of it that yes. you have to like use the gyro to turn the stool and kind of jiggle the key out of the stool and use the key to open a gate. That's all fine. The gyro in that section was so bad, like in the demo anyway, I I don't know if it's been fixed in the final game, but I struggled. In the final game, I actually had no issue. Okay. Well, that's no issue. Um, I think it worked actually fairly well. I did wind up having to maneuver it, quite a bit. It wasn't just something to where I could tilt it back and forth a little bit. No, I actually had to like turn it upside down and Mm -hmm. hold it in a way you absolutely wouldn't hold a controller. Uh, But I mean, that equated to basically turning the stool upside down and right side up and trying to jangle the key down into the the little opening slot that uh, you were supposed to get it into. Uh, But that aspect of the game, I didn't feel like I had much issue with and I didn't really have an issue with how that controlled. I tell um, you, man, I, in that demo, I probably spent 15 minutes on that key. <laughs> and then I was like, is this just like, is this a me thing or is it just bad? And then I went on Twitter and I, I saw like four friends complaining about it. And then I listened to the Nintendo dads and, and their podcast and they complained. I was like, okay, so it's not just me. So I'm, I'm glad the final game, you know, ironed some of that gyro stuff out because to be honest, that was a huge turnoff for me. That was the moment I was like, I'm probably not going to pick this up. <laughs> Maybe maybe I just got lucky with my copy or something maybe. in the game. Yeah. Maybe a lot of people would still have issues, but uh, that 
I do think that that was one of the more unique uh, aspects, one of the more unique puzzle solves in the game was, again, just having to, like, turn the controller upside down and use that much of the gyro controls in order to uh, in order to manipulate the environment. Now, the, the game still does do a good job of finding unique ways to to implement puzzle solves into it. Uh, to the point where a couple times, even frustratingly, there are a couple times the game will only use a mechanic once for the sake of keeping things unique constantly. They'll only use a mechanic once and you may not even be aware that that mechanic exists. So there were a couple times where I did get stuck on something because I didn't know that what it wanted me to do was even a thing. Uh, so there is that a couple times. I will say just for the sake of uh, you can overlap photos. Just be aware of that. That's all I'm going to say. You can overlap photos. That should hopefully save you 15 <laughs> minutes at a certain part of the game. Wow. Uh But, you know, talking about overlapping photos, a lot of what you're going to do within the game is governed by this DAS, is governed by this dual another system. Not only is it this mystery in and of itself that you have to solve, but it is also your camera. It is also the device that uh, contains all the information. It has your map and it's basically your entire menu screen, everything that you need it for. Uh, weirdly enough, apparently it has almost no memory to it because it can only store 10 photos at a time. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But, uh, but it is, it is a very central part of the gameplay experience throughout both halves of the game. And I will say, even when you get to the second half, you can still like return to the information from the first half. Oh, Uh, there's a, a big aspect of the DAS's functionality is kind of keeping the characters in line and their relationships and new information you find out about them because there are a lot of characters to keep track of. This is ultimately a mystery and a mystery needs more than just, you know, three characters. Um, So trying to keep all the characters and their relationships and their dynamics in line. uh, There's this kind of big virtual cork board on the desk that you can use uh, but even when you get to the second part of the game, you can return to, you know, just kind of look up stuff and, you know, just, you know, it's it's still there if you want to check it out. Just nice. Just for for evs. Um, but just in terms of the the puzzle solving, uh, specifically in the first half of the game, there were a couple that frustrated me, but I thought the pacing of the puzzles was very good. I thought the solves were very good. There was one specifically that uh, frustrated me in the first half. But once I realized, I was like, that's fair. That's 100% fair. That's on me. Um, I really liked the uniqueness of it. I really liked how the puzzles kind of brought the mansion together because in the first half mm. of the game, a lot of the game happens around this singular Uh, mansion on blood edward island and the way that the puzzles kind of narratively wrapped the the game together and this building together and i thought worked really well in tandem with the narrative i thought the design of the puzzles was actually synergistic with the narrative and very well done in that regard and i think there were just enough puzzles to to keep the game interesting to keep the pace going and uh to keep my brain 
to keep my brain occupied because I'm a dumb dumb. Uh, <laughs> well, let me ask you this because I I remember hearing you talk um, on on the podcast when you first started playing the game, and mm-hmm. you you said that like it was kind of tapping into a certain you were having a certain nostalgic reaction yeah. to it, and yeah. um, a, a big question that I think a lot of people who have played the first game will have is like, yeah, like how how do they translate? DS specific puzzles to the switch, the stamp thing you're talking about, like what did they do there? Like how, how they solve for that? Right. Honestly, I don't think that that puzzle specifically exists mm-hmm. in this version of the game. Um, I was, cause I was looking specifically for that as well. And mm-hmm. when you were talking earlier about, the IGN reviewer who had previously played the Wii version of the game. And we had kind of touched on this idea of restructuring the game. Uh, I do think that there was a lot of that going on. Now, when I was going through it and specifically when it comes to the narrative and some of the interactions, the memories and uh, some of the set pieces, there were things that were, I mean, ironically enough, triggering a few memories of my own, but there were several parts of the game where, I was like, this feels like a Switch exclusive puzzle, or Mm -hmm. this isn't something I really remember at all from the original, or I don't feel like this would have worked at all if this had been on the DS, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the stool thing couldn't have worked on the DS, right? Um, Well, I mean, the DS had slight gyro, but... um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting when, when you look at like what, what this game sort of has to do, it's, it's mm-hmm. a difficult job and we've seen some games, especially like touch heavy games that yeah. have just solved for this by, well, let's put a, like a pointer in there with like motion controls or map it to the stick or whatever, you know? And so, um, it, it is kind of interesting to, to see how, especially DS, you know, uh, ports handle the transition. Yeah. Uh, for the first half, I think the puzzles were were well conceived. I think they were well paced, and I think they broke up the the game at the right intervals. Um, unfortunately, I can't say for the the same for the second half of the game. Mm. The puzzles in the second half of the game felt so much more sparse. It felt like I was talking to people forever to the point where when I found something that felt like a puzzle, I was elated. Like, finally, (laughs) I get to actually play something. And unfortunately, with a few exceptions, a lot of the times I would run into the puzzles in the second half of the game. They'd be such simple uh, solves that they were actually kind of disappointing. Unfortunately, Mm. there was one specifically that was a four button combination. And I was like, cool, you know, I got to do some investigating. Got to actually put my brain to work. Cool. This is, and then I turn around and the four button combination in its entirety is like right under the tab of an item. And I'm just like, so a lot from a gameplay perspective, the puzzle solves were kind of deflating. And they even introduced a couple things in the second half of the game. Uh, Specifically, this weird thing about cleaning up the campsite, like you could find loose cans, bring them to this can recycler machine, get tokens, and then you could use those tokens. Like they introduced this entire thing, but turns out you can just use them in like a gumball machine. And then there's just a very quick animation where Ashley just 
pops it in her mouth, literally doesn't even open her mouth as part of the animation, doesn't even make a chewing animation. It's like, oh, that one tasted blue. And then... Wow. So from a gameplay perspective, the second half of the game did not really satisfy me whatsoever, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, Which did kind of leave because, you know, that's the end of the game. So from a gameplay perspective, I didn't really end on a high note, but Again, from a narrative gameplay and, and most other standpoints, I think the first half of the game specifically is is very, very strong. Uh, I've already spoken about the presentation and the the music, but um, the, the part that was based off of the Wii title, I think is notably less satisfying. That being said, it's not like I didn't enjoy my time sure. with it. There was still, again, a lot of interesting stuff going on narratively, even if, again, it didn't really ramp up until the end. Uh, But just from a gameplay perspective, uh, I mean, you can only run around and click on people and dialogue options so many times. Now, if you're worried about solving puzzles, if, you know, it's like, well, you know, Eric's a dum-dum, but what if I have a lot of trouble with these puzzles? Uh, there is a hint system in the game. Mm. And I th- I feel like it's something that we're starting to see more and more with in puzzle games like this. It is a three-tiered hint system yep. to where at any point in the game, whatever your next objective is, you can activate the hint and it will give you kind of a basic hint. Then you can activate, like if you really need to, you can activate an enhanced hint. And if you're still having trouble, you can just have the game tell you, it's like, okay, go do this. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you do have any trouble with some of the puzzles, and again, a couple of them can be fairly obtuse because of how many of them only use a certain mechanic or a certain element of the functionality a single time. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you did have to resort to that once or twice throughout the playthrough. There is also a unique piece of functionality to where you can have this little compass kind of appear almost as like a halo around Ashley, which okay. will constantly point in the direction of where you should be going. Okay. I like that. So, you know, there is, you know, there is help and there is accessibility features there for people who, who are kind of scared uh, about or who are getting frustrated with whatever part they happen to be stuck on. Nice. Okay. I, I love, yeah. Accessibility is always good. Of course. Um, love, love that. Love options um, for players, especially people who might feel it. I think that three tiered, so that's the way to go with stuff like this. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's really good. Yeah, just everybody. If you if it's a game like this, just do that. Like I think that's just the way you, you handle this. Um, yeah. Is there is there any other like big parts of the? I mean, it's you know it's 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 dialogue heavy. It's story heavy. You got yeah. your puzzles. Is there any other facet to the gameplay you want to highlight? Honestly, no. Because I mean, this isn't an RPG. There's no equipment. There's no mm-hmm. stats. You know, there's no platforming. the The gameplay really just kind of boils down to. You know, when you're in an area, you're, uh, you know, you're in an environment, you kind of go around, you click the A button on certain things to investigate them, you find the puzzles, and then, uh, you know, you solve them. There are, I will say, there are a couple very good standout puzzles in the game. Very good. There are a couple even in the second half that are very good. 
Um, and um, I, I do, you know, I, I do hope that people find as much enjoyment out of those puzzles uh, as I did. But in terms of the gameplay, again, you know, point and click adventure, like you said earlier, this is a very narrative uh, heavy game. So um, I, I do respect the game for trying to change up the different ways to solve. Some of them involve like little mini games and even micro games, which had varying degrees of, of tightness of control. Uh, but uh, that was, that. that's basically where you found a lot of the gameplay variety is in the solves themselves, essentially. And to be fair, in that regard, there was quite a bit of variety, maybe even too much, but I do respect mm. the game for that. Okay. All right, cool. Well, uh, any any final thoughts? I know you've you've had some complicated emotions on this one. Yes. What's your sort of final takeaway for another Code Recollection? My final takeaway is there is a, a genuinely great game hidden in here somewhere. Like an actually stellar game hidden in here beneath another code recollection. Um, the performances I think were good. The narrative uh, with a little tightening uh, could be very, very good with some presentational glow up, some new music and with a little bit tighter game design when it comes to the puzzles and maybe even adding in a few more. Considering we just got a remake of these games, I almost hate to say this, but I think that if this game, that if this version of the game got a proper remake, there's a chance for greatness here. Uh, but as it stands, because of the issues that I had, even though I did enjoy playing it, it is a very slow paced game. Some of the puzzles can be frustrating. It's not very impressive visually. It's not very impressive musically. So despite the positives, it is a game that I feel like is kind of hard for me to recommend to other people. If you're a hardcore fan of point and click adventures, I feel like it's much easier to recommend to you, but this is certainly not a game that would make a fan of point and click adventures. In my opinion, I think the narrative is there and maybe they can build on that for a future remake. But again, unfortunately, as it stands right now, another code recollection sits in a weird, weird limbo for me where I ultimately am glad I played it. And I ultimately came down on a more positive side of the fence, but I, I really can't discount the, the significant uh, issues that I do have with the game. And those are issues that were enough that would keep me from, from recommending to many people, unfortunately, mm. but yeah. ultimately, Oh, like I said, I'm still glad I played it. And if you do wind up picking it up, I hope you enjoy it as well. But it's not something that I'm going to tell you to go out and pick up right now. It's not even a game, frankly, that 
even if it was on sale that I would say go ahead and pick up right now. But I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. Well, Eric, thanks for, for giving us your thoughts. We, we appreciate you reporting of back. Uh, of course, this uh, video or this, this review has got a video component uh, to it that y'all can check out on the YouTube channel as well as this episode yes. goes live. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead and check that out. But, you know, weirdly enough, Seth, I would love to talk to some of the developers behind this game. But in lieu of that... We actually get to talk to some developers right now behind a game where another young girl gets to flex her detective muscles. <laughs> you know what? That's true. This is a game that we've been talking about for a little while uh, here on the show. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really excited uh, for this interview. You know, Lil Guardsman uh, is a game that that we both really like. We yeah. shouted out on the show a couple of times and... Um, Super excited to uh, to chat with the developers from Hilltop, the creators of the game, about Lil Guardsman in our indie showcase right now. Dear listeners, we are very excited to welcome two special guests to the show this week, the co-creators of Lil Guardsman at Hilltop Studios. Please welcome Scott Christian and Artem Komarov. Yay! Yay! You warned us about the yay, and I'm it delivered so much more than I even wanted from it. Honestly, I'm thrilled. You were warned. We try to start off our interviews with big energy. I mean, yes, of course, we're excited to have you, but you know, again, we just feel like we need that real jolt at the beginning of these interviews to properly set the tone. I feel like I just drank mm. some coffee, and I'm, I'm here for that, <laughs> and I really that, like it. We, That's the we will, best compliment I've ever been given. We will try to try to meet that energy and not be a couple of Eeyores. We'll keep we'll keep the ball in the air. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, well, guys, um, you know, before we get into it, if you guys could just so people uh, can associate names with voices, could you introduce yourselves for us and kind of let you uh, let everybody know what you do both at, at Hilltop and uh, on Little Guardsman? Yeah, of course. Uh, this will be a fun challenge. I've never thought about whether our voices sound alike. Uh, my name is Artem Komarov. I'm uh, with Scott, the co-founder of Hilltop. I'm also the co-creator of Little Guardsman. We share lots of stuff, but I have more focus on the art and game design side. Yep, and um, <clears throat> I'm Scott Christian. And uh, again, uh, Artem and I double up in lots of ways. Uh, my focus on Little Guardsman was I led the writing team and I also composed the music and did the sound design. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed, uh, Scott, your, your credit in the, uh, in the credit sequences, wear of too many hats. Yeah. So I do, I do empathize. <laughs> I mean, Artem, Artem also qualifies for, for that particular dunce cap, but I'd, I'd say that, um, I mean, it, it's our, our first game, our first project, um, as Hilltop, uh, and our goal was just to make sure the rest of our team didn't crunch. And the unfortunate byproduct of that is we just took on way too many things. But hey, now mm. now we know what we want to do next time and what we absolutely don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can say from experience, while I, we certainly don't advocate for crunch, there is a certain aspect to wearing all of those hats and being able to fully realize the vision that you have as opposed to trying to explain to a hundred other different people what you would like to happen and then hoping it ends up the way you envision it in your mind as opposed to, you know, doing it yourself and making sure that all the pieces come together the way that you always knew they would. 
Yeah, that's a really big part that we really like about indie game development. I think there's that ability to touch all the different parts of the game, have something that you can play through end to end. It still still is your vision. Although I, I will say even in developing the game, we... Like there's so much stuff that gets that comes in from the team as you work yeah. on it. There was a lot of like pivots that we had where you know I, I, I could remember individually each person who sort of ad, adds a little dimension to it. It's really fun. It's a really uh, it's a really fun part of the challenge. But but yeah, I mean j- just to just to button that, d- did I get text messages at two thirty in the morning from Artem that were <laughs> yeah. equivalent to him like? slapping me in the mouth being like why are you still working i sure did i sure did but it, it worked out in the end <laughs> hey well, the you guys delivered was, it worked out yeah why was i up yeah well we we both have that particular sickness so yeah. there you go <laughs> <laughs> well you found you found kindred spirits and, and here you are you you crossed the finish line the game launched uh, a couple weeks ago now and and it's great uh you yeah. know we we love it so a uh, job well done there uh how has the launch been for you guys what's the reaction been like how uh how has it been now that you've now that you've done it now that it's out there in the world it's it's been pretty it's kind of indescribable. It's it's crazy. Both Artem and I have worked sort of in different fields and 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 made stuff that got out in front of people. But just seeing like going into the back end of Steam and seeing people playing it in very far flung countries and just uh, <laughs> concept, conceptualizing people that we've never met that we will never meet um, enjoying our game is is pretty. It, it's indescribable for sure. Uh, we've just been thrilled that uh, the critical response has been really strong and it's been such a, tr- uh, it's been a trip to uh, crash streams, like so to, to watch content <laughs> creators play the game uh, and then toss in when they're struggling, be like, oh, you got to do this. You got to check this. Like that's, that's been a, a really fun thing. Artem, <laughs> any, anything about the last week and a half? Uh, yeah, a little surreal. I think exactly what Scott said. There's kind of a real pleasure just knowing it's out there. Uh, a fear too, I will say for anybody considering game development as a career uh, of it being out there. And I also have really been enjoying crashing stuff. I had an interaction with somebody uh, today on the internet. I guess I'm memorializing them now on this podcast, but they had, were playing something. Goblins, obviously, you know, featured heavily into the game. I commented on it and then shared like an image. I had, I have, Scott and I have giant packs in Dropbox of, you know, old sketches and stuff. And I shared something and they were like, did you, oh, that's so great. Did you sketch, did you like sketch that right now? And then they're like, <laughs> oh, that's who you are. And they were very sweet. And it was like, a, I don't know. It's nice when people are nice on the internet. You know, it doesn't always happen. Uh, it's great. Yeah, as a, I, we as, just, we're, as, we're blown away. We're blown away with support. Yeah, as opposed to those interactions, you're trying to crash the screen. It's like, eh, maybe you should try the truth serum. It's like, don't try to mansplain this game to me. <laughs> <laughs> who do you, who do you think you are? Um, exactly. So, so something that Artem and I, like, you, you don't know what you've made until it gets in front of an audience. So, uh, like, we obviously love we we love our game. We're passionate about it. We didn't think it was a piece of gar- we didn't think it was a piece of garbage. Um, but it's it's. It's just awesome that people like it. And it's it's nice to have our hunches confirmed by the player, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, especially sharing this. I, I can't imagine working on something that long and then, you know, just wondering how it's going to be received. I mean, uh, this is something you guys have been working on for for a long time and doing it together. And I think the the people are kind of interested in how this journey got started for you? How did you guys meet and, and start making games together? Sure. Um, I'll try to make this short. Ar- Artem and I have been, fr- Scott, um, Artem and I have been friends for 
coming up on 20 years. We met at uh, the University of Toronto here in Toronto in college. Um, and we've been sort of very close friends since. Uh, and we were both sort of on, on different paths, Artem being in tech and in startups and an entrepreneur. I worked in, in sort of entertainment and theater and music. Um, and then the pandemic hit. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it sort of brought my industry, brought the live performance uh, grinding yeah, to a halt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, here in Toronto, uh, thing, uh, things were really locked down. Like I know you, you folks are based in the States. It was like a special brand of rock lockdown up here. Um, and we started doing these like we worked up to a hundred mile bike ride. So we we're doing these long bike rides where we were drunk with exhaustion. And we are not athletic people. I know you can't see us <laughs> right now, but I'm telling you, this is not athleticism. This is not a Chad story. We are, we are chubby dudes in our <laughs> mid thirties, um, just tootling along on our bikes. Um, and yet we were, we were both sort of at a moment in our careers where we we're like, well, what do we want to do next? Well, what do we like? Um, Artem's part of his secret backstory is he's an amazing visual artist. Um, and I mean, working in theater, it's I'm all about story, all about music. We're both video game junkies. So we said, hey, well, what, what about making a video game? Um, and then that conversation just never ended. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Conversation <laughs> is still going on to this very moment. <laughs> It's true. Well, what's the, um, I mean, what, what would you guys say? I'm, I'm sure you've had to do this a million times in the ensuing years, but what, what is the pitch? How, how would you both describe your game, Little Guardsman? Yeah, we wanted to take a big chunk from Papers, Please, because we wanted, mm, we yeah. think it's a really interesting genre, obviously, and we think it's something that's a little bit underexplored, although there's a couple of really great games. One of the ones I highlight for a lot of folks is like, Valhalla um, bartender. Uh, I think it's tactical bartender action. Oh, right. Yep. Um, mm. So they have a lot of great stuff there. So there's like a few remixes of that. We also wanted to do a game that had a limited setting, you know, less backgrounds, kind of more based in one location. I think the, the, the challenge of how to tell a story from one perspective or one place, I think was really interesting to us. Yeah, it's, 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 it sounds uncreative, but it fostered a lot of creativity. We sort of, when we started sort of throwing ideas around, it's like, well, we we want to we want to challenge ourselves to do something that's sort of epic in in scope, but that's not so big that it's impossible for us with a small team to finish. So that that was mm -hmm. one of the things that was attractive about the setup. And then I think Scott and I, again, now as we've gotten to do it a little bit longer, it's a theme we come back to a lot. We talk about about a genre that we really like. We talk about what are the expectations in that genre. And then we want to put a remix on it. We want to add something, you know, we talk often about the idea of something, what's familiar and interesting to the audience and what's surprising and interesting and, and balancing those two uh, in what we're creating. And so a lot of the humor came from a place of really loving LucasArts games. I think, you know, point and click, which has kind of fallen off. I, I, there's a really strong community. We belong to all of them. Yeah. But, you know, that, that genre has kind of fallen off a little bit, even with the re-release of Monkey Island. And we mm -hmm. wanted those comedy elements, like something yeah. like a modern remix of those pieces. I don't know. You can talk more about the writing because you yeah. love the writing team. Yeah, just just to sort of button it. Um, we wanted the charm of those sort of 90s adventure games. And we wanted that feeling that we had as like kids. Like the Day of the Tentacles, the LucasArts. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Sam, Sam and Max, um, and then the little bit more mature Grim Fandango, which is such a yep. great film noir homage. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but we wanted, we wanted that feeling, but I think Artem and I both are a little bit too impatient for the classic point and click format. So we wanted to come up with like, and, and again, that was sort of the fusion of the, the papers, please sort of tight gameplay loop with the spirit and feeling of those classic adventure games. Yeah, I think you guys kind of kind of nailed that. It has to be a tough balance to, you know, Papers, Please is a heavy game. Yeah. I mean, that game's got these heavy, like, you know, themes and stuff. And I, you know, I look at this game and it's one of the funniest games on the Nintendo Switch. You guys do kind of have some of that, like, social and political commentary in there, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's the like core focus. Mm. Like I think most people would play this and say, this is a funny game. Um, and I guess like, what was that balance like of like, Hey, we're, you know, we're taking a point of order from something that is like very grim dark and we're kind of putting our own spin on it. And we're, you know, injecting it with humor that you would find in something like a, a LucasArts game. Like, was that tough to put that together? I'm going to toss to my, co-founder Artem Komarov <laughs> to talk about the grim, dark, faux Soviet nature of papers, please. Go ahead, Artem. Yeah, I think uh, it just wasn't... The The thing is, we didn't want to remake papers, please. That was another piece, right? right? And we didn't want to just set up something that was kind of derivative of it or just a, a redoing of it. It, did, it was done really well. It did super well. It's like a touchstone in the, you know, in the art that is gaming, Mm -hmm. Um, the comedy, and I do want Scott to actually chime in on this, but I I think one thing we liked about comedy that we continue to like about comedy is that's a really great delivery mechanism for earnestness. So Mm -hmm. at the heart, a lot of the game is the relationship between Lil and her dad, who is incompetent, but sweet and, and attentive. And, uh, you know, this big city that isn't just kind of a background, it's got a lot going on. It's got this political intrigue. Although very early on in the conversation, I remember telling Scott, I was like, just no, like we can't do, if we do trade embargo or anything, like I was thinking of the Star Wars, I was like, that's no, that's totally. not interesting to anybody. We're not doing that. But um, I don't know. Then Scott kind of so you're saying team. that when it came to that, the negotiations were short. Wow. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Well done. Art imitates life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it is funny because in the second part of Papers, or not Papers, please, our game is called Little Guardsman. In the second part of Little Guardsman, um, it, it does sort of go towards politics in a, in a different way, but mm-hmm. it still has its comedy core. I mean, I, I would say that we found our characters first. Mm. So... And I'm not sure, like Artem had just become a dad. So he was thinking about his daughter a bunch. We also didn't want, uh, we sort of wanted to subvert the traditional video video game power fantasy, which a lot of the adventure games do. Guybrush Threepwood, hold on, I just lost my headphone. Uh, Guybrush (laughs) Threepwood is not a powerful character. Um, Mm -hmm, So sort of riffing on that, we we like the idea of, okay, you you play this sort of, you play this kid, you play this preteen girl that is surrounded by these epic fantasy massive events. And isn't it interesting or is it interesting for the player to make these tiny little adjustments and down to like, are you admitting, denying or jailing people coming to the gate? And how much can that steer this epic story? Mm-hmm. So sort of a riffing on like a, a butterfly effect thing. But in terms of the spirit and the tone, as soon as we found Lil and her dad, um, it was just like making each other laugh. And then as we built out the team, all of us making each other laugh with weird shit we brought to the table. Um, and it sort of <laughs> grew from there. Um, something early that was a an Artem brainchild was the idea that it should be 
Dungeons and Dragons, Tolkien-esque fantasy, because people have a good touchstone for that. Like you don't have to explain what an elf is or an orc is. Most people have a shorthand for that, but then 30% something else. So Artem, do you want to dig into that? Yeah, I mean, the it's also just, I guess, about what you like at the time. So I think, you know, Vaporwave, if you all remember that trend of like mm-hmm. kind of that 80s synthy vibe, I was I just really liked it. I was listening to a lot of music made by that kind of stuff. And we, we didn't want to put that flavor in directly. But like I was thinking a lot about kind of cassette futurism and cassettes and VHS. And I'm not going to date myself, but I do know some of those things. Uh, directly <laughs> firsthand. And uh, yeah, what we ended up putting in, I think was what made each other laugh was sort of this, a lot of stuff that could also be very referential. I think there is, this is a bit of a love letter to our earlier gaming experience as kids. So a lot of the like Final Fantasy and, and uh, you know, there's all these little items and objects and stuff in the background. And once the right, once the yeah. artists got a hold of it, there was even more. There's, it's all in there. Yeah, there's really no holds barred in terms of references in the game. But our, our rule was, if you don't get the reference, you should still be able to enjoy the moment. So mm. there's mm-hmm. I, like, I think it's a feast for the player who is into pop culture. But um, like, like, again, considering our glo- a potential global audience, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully it, it resonates with everybody. Yeah. And just from everything you said there, there's so much to, to potentially get into. But specifically talking about the game's setting, uh, and this was something you guys just posted about in terms of the sprawl and how it was, quote, an integral aspect from day one. So in terms of creating the backstory and this world, what was kind of the world crafting like for taking, again, in your own words, a, a Tolkien-esque fantasy setting and giving it... You know, I, I don't want to necessarily say like a Monty Python esque or like a um, <laughs> like a, a Saturday Night Live esque tinge of comedy to it. But uh, what was it like trying to bring this world together so you could populate it with these characters? I mean, uh, I, I love that you're draw, drawing those connections. The best review we got on Steam from again someone we don't know uh, was someone uh, compared it to Terry Pratchett, which is such a oh, feels nice. like a slam dunk for us. Like like if anyone is is feeling Discworld when they play our game, like mission accomplished for sure. Um, I th- I think it's 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 this mix of where the writing team is going for jokes, is going for like the biggest laughs, but. When we're crafting the story and the characters, we like we take it very seriously. It's not like what what is the weirdest, silliest shit we can do. It's it's what is the most interesting story. So I think as we're building out the world, uh, we were really thinking about like, okay, what are what are the epic story beats, and what are the locations that are going to serve those, and and where can we place these these scenes to tell this story. But going back to originating the sprawl and figuring that out, Artem, mm. what do you think? Yeah, we had a castle that we wanted to do. We knew we sort of wanted to do this large space. It was going to be, again, like you said, you know, Tolkien-esque. I think, you know, I, I'm a huge Terry Pratchett fan, so very Pratchett-esque, I think, in terms of the main city. And mm-hmm. then the question was like, okay, but I've seen that before. That's interesting. I recognize it. What can we do? There was um, an early reference I came across was uh, this place called Kowloon City, which was like this weird accident of bureaucracy essentially that kind of got out of hand and the city ended up building vertically. It's like one of the densest places in the world or it was until it was torn down. And I remember sending Scott a photo. I was like, Hey, what if we did that for the castle? So it shows up less in the game um, in kind of a direct way, but you can sort of see that all the buildings 
just keep going up and up. And I kind of, you know, right. in my head, I picture them being connected by like banisters and like, this is a dense place for whatever reason. Um, and then I think what that, what that set off was the idea of, okay, well, what kind of characters populate this place? How are they reacting it? Who was the king? Yeah. You know, what, what was he like before he left, before the princess came in? I don't know. You guys really ran with that. It was really interesting to see. It's it's tough to to talk about it because there's so much stuff that we know that may or may not end up in the game, or it'll only end, end up if you choose a certain thing. You might hear that bit of backstory, but but yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, we we had early conversations like, okay, there's not cars, but in the level of technology that we accept in this game world, there's probably like tram cars and and sort of electric powered mm-hmm. things. And, and, and I mean, we actively shied away from steampunk and a steampunk aesthetic just because there's so many things that we love that are steampunky and we feel like there, there are probably better games that have done it. But again, it's it's sort of in that sort of Victorian technology, but also there are fax machines somehow. That's that's sort of where we landed. Yeah, because I know that when you're dealing with, you know, the backstory, you're trying to deal with, you know, the internal world building, you know, there, there is that. You know, the, the, there's that uh, that desire to to make things you know as complex as possible. You know, it's like cool, yeah, we know everything that's happened in this world for the past seventeen generations, and like you you know we're only dealing with like the past week and a half, right? <laughs> but we we I think we did a pretty good job. A couple times in the game, there are characters that will keep talking to you and that will give you lore dumps, but they're absolutely skippable. So there's like. There, Lil can say in a bunch of different moments in the game, like, just get to the point. Like, let's just yeah. keep going. <laughs> I so- love that so much. That's one of my favorite <laughs> moments on the Nintendo Switch of the past several years is one of the first conversations she has with a certain, you know, let's just say uh, scientist where the three options are just like variations of like, nope. Nope, nope, nope. I screen cap <laughs> that. I'm going to be using that picture until the day I die. I'm like, that is that is my spirit animal. That is my absolute vibe right now. <laughs> Just three versions of the word nope. That's what, those are the choices that I want to pick from every conversation in a video game from now on. <laughs> uh, we're so glad. Actually, Seth, uh, Eric, I was going to ask you guys, are we getting into spoiler territory? What's the policy on the podcast about this? Well, yeah, you know, well, talking about... Mm, I mean, there is a lot of stuff that we could talk about, and we certainly wouldn't want to spoil anything because this game is absolutely worth checking out. Everybody within the sound of our voice, we definitely want to make sure that you experience this because the way this game is presented, the way these characters are performed, it's absolutely worth checking out for yourself. So we do want to avoid major spoilers. Great. Uh, I mentioned the Understood. meeting with the scientists because that does happen very, very early on uh, in the yeah. game. But uh Anything that you guys wouldn't necessarily consider spoilery, uh, we're just trying to be as careful as we can for the sake of the listeners and for the sake of no, anybody that. who we may play that. it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we know how to set this up. I think this is, <laughs> I mean, if you haven't gotten to the scientist yet, I encourage you to keep playing, dear player. Yeah, we won't tell him about when Lil dies or anything like that. So. No. <laughs> Or when, I mean, when when Hamish well, turns into a bear or something. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was right. a, that was like a real delight, by the way. That one, I think, okay, I think very safely because it can happen to you very soon. Like that was a real delight early on on a couple of platforms where people discovered that you could kill Lil, which was like a really big, interesting discussion that we had about and, and, how to and again, do it. We're not putting an AK forty seven in Lil's hands, and there's not a bullet hell sequence <laughs> of the game, right? But although there, there are moments where 
enemies are coming up or people, dangerous people are coming up. And if you play incorrectly or if you taunt and torment them, um, the, the dragon's going to breathe fire at you and you get a game over. So that, <laughs> I think that that was an Artem joke that he's like, we need on this game over screen, we need to hear Lil say, I didn't think this was that kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I reached one of those, I'll just call them fail states. Like one yeah. of them specifically just made my jaw drop. I was like, what just happened? Yeah, one one of them caused me, uh, no spoilers, but I think you guys will know what I'm talking about. One of them did cause me to bust out the old Google Translate because um, <laughs> they were, the, the character was speaking in, let's say, another language. And I wanted to see what they were saying. It was pretty good. So f- fun fact about that character, there is a character that speaks Latin. We, uh, we had a, a tremendous voice cast of, I think, 14 or 15 actors. Um, th- that character that speaks in Latin, that's me, because I didn't want to ask oh, wow. any of our, I didn't want to ask any of the actors to have to fi- figure out Latin pronunciation. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's me with an effect on my voice. It, spoiler, it sounds cool if you shift your voice down an octave, no matter who you are. Um, but I, I, rec- I recorded that probably at two in the morning in my basement. And I got a text from my wife saying, what the hell is happening down there? Like, are you, are you, are you summoning a demon? Um, and it's, it's like, no, no, I'm just recording this weird Latin sequence in the game. So it can be both. You can know, be both. Do it do it Get you someone who can do both. Exactly. You know? That's the thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was an early discussion we had. We talked about sort of the idea of, uh, for you to know, it's called, we, we, we refer to them as landmines. Um, and then the, <laughs> there was a lot of debate about sort of how to handle them. And I, I really wanted to have something where failing was fun. Like that was a big, I, I, I definitely, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but like as I've gotten older, when I'm playing games, I have a lot of like pause and start. I have a lot of disruptions. It hasn't gotten any better since we've started making games. And I just wanted something where I can jump back in, play it. If I hit that end state, it doesn't feel like, oh, like I got to reload. It's rewind. I want to find those. I actively want to look for all of them. A hundred percent. And our, our game lives in a weird place. Like it looks cozy. It feels cozy. Some cozy gaming folks have embraced us with open arms some cozy gaming folks are adamant that our game is not cozy because you can kill <laughs> kill Lil. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we we wanted to have a game that had edges, that had challenge, because I think a lot of gamers want to feel like they're winning and want to feel like they're they're achieving something. But I mean, I'm I'm the person who plays on e- easy mode, so we also wanted to reward the player who just wants a great story. Um, so yeah, if you hit a game over, it's sending you back a minute or two tops. You're not, you're not punished too much. Yeah. That, that's so like, I just want to see a, a, just a compilation of all of those entitled like, like kill Lil volume <laughs> two or something like that. You know, <laughs> nice. Well, in, in, in a week and a half, there's already a lot of weird, weird little guardsman shit there on the internet. So I'm sure we're days away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's interesting too. Cause you know, like this element of like time travel and rewinding and making different decisions and things like that is a, a core piece of the game design. And time travel is something that I think is famously difficult to do well, both narratively and from the perspective of game design, even though like in this, it's basically just a, Oh man, like it's like a, like a choose your own adventure book or something. I want to go back and I want to make the decision and have the better outcome. But is it difficult to balance something as, as grandiose as time travel into both your game design here in a game like this and also the story? 
I'm definitely going to pass this over to Scott because to be <laughs> blunt, honestly, when we were working on it, I really like um, kind of synergistic elements in game design when mm-hmm. when there's like a, when there isn't like ludo narrative dissonance to use a fancy term. And yeah. um, so when the mechanics I, serve the narrative. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think at the time I asked him like, hey, I think, you know, if we have this rewind mechanic, then someone isn't safe scumming. I have, a, I have this whole bugaboo about safe scumming as like a as a I way to play that. through a game, which I'm like extremely guilty of. So if, if, if you're out there about to tweet at me, please know that I'm also <laughs> suffering from it. And, you know, as this kind of came up, I, my ask to Scott was like, what can we do about that? And then you guys came up with the, the time machine and a lot of these like temporal elements. I, I don't know. How did you guys make it work? I still am in awe in that. Yeah. I mean, to, to call back to one of our main inspirations, uh, papers, please, which is super crunchy and it's on a timer and there's all this tension. Um, mm-hmm. We, we, I think we found the tension by there are sort of three action points. There are three things you can do before you have to make your decision. But pretty quickly as we started writing, and, and I mean, it took years off of our life, there's so many different paths in a turn um, that you can unlock. And I think our, our game is good for the person who just sort of blitzes through and, and goes left to right. And I think that player who clicks, clicks a bit too fast can get through the game in six hours. I think it's more like seven or eight for an average player. Um, but we wanted to make it easy for someone to go back and see what else is there. Um, and, and, and again, that's, that's shout out to my co-writers, Matt and Jeremy. There's so much there. There's so many jokes that are easy to miss. Um, but in, ter- in terms of tying it in, it, it started with Artem's re- request of let's not just make this a menu button. Let's, ma- let's cook this into the story. And I'd say that probably came in, in the first third of, of production. So, um, I'm not going to spoil anything, but that your your time travel mechanic becomes a major sort of thrust of the story. So that yes. was sort of um, mm-hmm. sort of the the content came out of that mm-hmm. mechanical need, um, and that that's been an interesting thing about our game um, that pe- people on our team have sort of addressed how weird it is that the writing really leads the the mechanical design and the gameplay design. Like um, we obviously prioritized making it fun. It, like like we love like pure story games. Like like some of the, the most sort of moving moments in gaming have been pure walking simulators for me, but we always knew we wanted sort of something that's a little bit more clicky, a little bit more punchy, a little bit more uh, crunchy. Cr- yeah. Crunchy. So um, yeah, that was just one of those things that it was fun that it, it came out of a mechanical necessity that then like became core to the story. And frankly, the, the, this doesn't spoil anything. The part of the climax is tied into this rewind mechanic it replaced a completely different sort of final face-off um, that Artem and I had originally pitched the game with. Yeah. Now, Scott, I, you're getting off a little bit easy, so I'm going to kind of confront you. How, do dare, you. how dare you, sir? <laughs> do you want to tell the audience uh, what kind of crime did you commit in terms of how much words are in the game? Okay. So, yeah. Um, when we when we started working with our, our publisher versus Evil, they asked for a quote of uh, how many words do you think this is? And I said, oh, there's there's no way. It's probably 80,000 words, maybe 100,000 words tops. Um, we landed at 176,000 words. Um, <laughs> wow. Which is which is grotesque. You, which is you crying, grotesque. sir. I did. I did. I did um, shout out to our localization team who had to make it 
also funny in German, which is not easy. Um, and ap- apologies to uh, apologies to the people managing the localization budget. But hey, it, it's, there's I've, lots to discover. You can go in there. Everything has a bit of a twist and turn. Yeah, but it's and, a for for anybody curious. That is slightly above the average American novel. I had to look that up, and um, on par with a quite a number of RPGs out there. Beefy um, RPGs. Yeah. yeah. So wow. when Scott kind of gave me the final number, as you know, as we were kind of at the end and running all over the place at, at different ideas, I was blown away. I don't want to let him get away without, you know, <laughs> having to take, uh, you know, pride in that. It was a huge undertaking. That's one of the, like the game, we tried to have, we tried to have as much depth as we could. We're a small yeah. team, so we can only do so much. But we tried to have as much depth as we could. One of those was voice acting and the other one I think was the writing. Yeah. And really... We brought in as much as we could into it. Exactly. Yeah, the voice acting is a big thing, especially when it comes to, you know, comedy, especially when it comes to trying to put forth certain vibes. Because if these characters take themselves kind of seriously, then if the performance falls flat, then it doesn't really hurt too much. However, if you don't have the right vocal performances, if you don't have the right cast performing, you know, more comedic, more, you know, very time sensitive scripts, then 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 that type of dialogue and those types of interactions can really fall flat. So especially when you're talking about so many words and so much dialogue, how much did you guys stress over finding the right cast of finding the right people to bring these characters to life? I mean, I'd say that that's sort of one of the superpowers that Hilltop Studios has Um is just that we're so connected to the the comedy scene here in Toronto and the sort of film and TV scene uh, that it, it was just about bringing together the, my friends basically, which was cool. I work um, got the old improv well, troupe back together, huh? Oh no, no kidding! I actually uh, work <laughs> as a, a, a musical director uh, at uh, Second City here in Toronto, so a lot of the folks oh, nice. oh, wow. are are massive um, stand up and, and improv people, and like I. I led the writing team, but my two co-writers have been writing sketch comedy together for, they've been, like Artem and I have been friends for decades. They've been friends for decades. So um, it was me uh, sitting, sitting in my home studio with my, my earphones on listening to make sure the audio quality was good. And it was my co-writer, Matt Bernard, um, who was directing the vocal takes. Um, and he was, he, it was punishing. I, I had to tell him like, we're running out of time. You can't get that for a ninth take. Um, but he was so exacting about making sure the sort of the the flow and the tempo and the yeah just the the, the jokes landed the way that they intended, which is really hard in video games. It's hard yeah. when you, when one character can say something and you could hypothetically get up and make a sandwich and come back and then hear the next line. So it was really trying to find ways to make sure that the lines stood alone as being funny or imagining mm-hmm. that kind of sort of disruption. Um, the, 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 the bit still worked. Yeah. He's like, yes, set up, make sandwich, punchline. Aw. And that, that's when the re, the rewind mechanic comes in handy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So much of comedy so, is timing, right? And you don't control that in a video game. So yeah. that was something I thought the, the guys did a really good job of, of just figuring their way around. I don't, I don't think it's been super well done in a lot of games. There's a number that really stand out in my head. But it's still something that I think like gaming is learning as a medium. I mean, we're all still just kind of learning on the job. I think it's a pretty new place yeah, in general. I, and, and I mean, call, call back to the, the really funny LucasArts games. Sierra had some, some funny-ish games, but like mm-hmm. Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max, those are, those are funny as hell. 
Yeah, they're they're well, and you know what though, and I, and I want to give you guys your your credit too because like the, the game's you know it's hilarious. I think it's one of the funniest games uh, on the Nintendo Switch, and you know I, I laugh my entire way through it. But there is still a heart, and I mean y'all can y'all can tell me if I'm totally off base on this or not. But um, a game that that I actually thought of a lot when I was playing this was a, another game with Lil in the title. That's Lil Gator game. Um, what I think that game tapped into and this game taps into is that moment when you realize that you're having to grow up, like when you're not a kid anymore and you have some sort of responsibility, if it's earned or if it's unearned, you have it now. And you guys kind of tap into that. And that's kind of a rare, I think little crystallized feeling. Um, and you also manage to have like that sort of like father daughter relationship. I know you said that was like a sort of personal point for you as you became uh, a father. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know that, that all kind of really resonated with me. I don't know if I'm totally off base about that, but that, that was kind of a big takeaway I had from this amid all the laughs. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was sort of the tightrope walk that we walked, um, and uh, Lil Gator Game, it's funny that we that wasn't on our radar until we started Googling the name of our game obsessively. And then it, it's obviously <laughs> the main result. But um, the, it's a little bit mired in controversy, unfortunately. But the game that we really uh, used as a North Star was uh, Night in the Woods, which um, I don't think is a funny game. It's not a funny game, but it's certainly a quirky game and it's a flavorful game. And yeah. it just has mm-hmm. such a vibe. So I think we were trying to again, with, with more jokes and more pure comedy, we wanted something that was as vibey and, and sort of felt as real as Night in the Woods does emotionally. Yeah. And I think it, or like it, it really, it's great to hear you guys say that. Honestly, that's actually a real treat because yeah, thank you. that was something we, we talked about working on it. Like I remember an early build that we delivered and um, the scene where this non-spoiler territory, it's just like Lil and Hamish have a a cup like a, a half a minute conversation in her room. That's all that happens. We don't make you do anything. We don't make you solve anything. And I remember calling Scott just saying like, hey, this has like the real earnest heart that I was hoping for. Because I think, you know, Hamish is funny. He's silly. He's got a little bit of like that Homer Simpson from the early Simpsons uh, era where he's he's also very supportive and loving towards his daughter. And he he's, he wants to get it right. He wants to get it right. He's trying really hard. And um yeah, to have that really land, that's really just so satisfying because I, I think that's exactly what we were hoping for. We were hoping but, that that would come across. But but it's funny because the t- my two co-writers, um, they wrote that scene and then one of them was like, no, we're going to cut it. And I said, like, why? Why would you cut wow. it? He said, well, it, it's not load bearing. It, it's not a plot essential scene. It's not funny. And I said, no, like that's the game. Like the game is in those scenes too, not just the funny stuff. So so it was interesting to calibrate that. And, and I think it wouldn't work. Uh, the heart wouldn't work if it wasn't funny because it would be syrupy. It would be too saccharine. Um, and the comedy wouldn't work if you didn't care a lot about Lil and her dad. Yeah. I do think Big a lot time. of people look at scenes like that as like, what is absolute? Like they look at the absolute integral scenes to the story. And then, you know, you look at the the, the comedy, the, the skit type scenes. Uh, I, I really think that, those scenes that you're talking about, the the scenes that, you know, give us the the third dimension of many of these characters that we don't get just from the base level plot. I think they're really undervalued. So I'm glad you kept that in. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. But Scott and I, I, I think we both in our own way like those kinds of lingering scenes, too. Um, you know, maybe as far back as like 
there's that weird scene where you're running through your house as Max Payne, where it's kind of weird and conceptual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, actually pretty much anything Sam Lakes makes has those scenes. But I think in general, we, we like it when we set up a place and then there's this kind of nice pause where you just hang out because I think a game will usually carry you through with its mechanics and story, you know, and we are working hard to like minute to minute, we want you to care and be interested. And then if we earn it and you just pause and kind of sit with the feelings you have about the game. I think that's a real treat. Like if a player gives us that time to be able to do it, we're not, we're not going to be very long with it, but that's the whole impact. I think it kind of creates this pause in the, in the action that I love. Honestly, I think regardless of any genre, those scenes are, you know, I think really touching to me that and putting in musical terms. I think that's sort of now a a mainstay of, of our company as well. I love that. Well, you guys, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the writing and the characters. Do you guys have a, a favorite NPC? Um, I, I wanted specifically to just commend you on the character of Lieutenant Wilbur Caboose Orville, um, who has got to be my favorite NPC in the game. Um, I was curious if you guys had a, had a favorite. It's probably like picking your children or something, but is there, is there a special one to There's you? There's only a hundred we need to choose. Yeah, it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Easy. Thank, thank you for the Wilbur Caboose Orville love. <laughs> that that delightful um, goblin pi- pilot with a juicy booty. Um, just a yep. weird amalgam of things. For, for that character, our, Matt on the writing team is basically like a time traveler from the 1950s. And he even sound like he does all of the radio announcer voices and the goblin, goblin ball announcer voices. So that's 100%. Uh, I think it's a Matt turn. Jeremy might kick my ass if I'm wrong. Um, two characters that I want to shout out. Um, one is mine. One is not mine. Um, at the end of level, level two, I basically wrote and composed, uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, Disney princess yes. knockoff. Um, <laughs> so good. And it, it's, it's early in the game. So I'm not, whatever. Um, like she's in the demo. Too, it's in so. the demo. Yeah. She can kill you in so many ways. Like she's one of the most <laughs> fatal characters. Um, and, Again, my my background is as as a conductor and as a musician in theater. So that was a lot of my sort of fifteen years of trauma coming out in that character. Um, working working on shows like The Little Mermaid and hearing it night after night after night. Um, I also love that character because um, my wife Tringa does the voice for that character. So oh, that's so cool. And 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 I mean, she's not that psychotic in real life, but it's fun <laughs> that that character gets to throw a Molotov cocktail at Lil, and that it's my voice, uh, my wife's voice, who does it. Art, Art, Was that cathartic for her as well? Oh, absolutely, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. Yeah, Tringa's amazing. She's a great singer, and she like just no questions asked, jumped in to do the voice. She often will volunteer or she's not volunteered. Volunteered, I guess I should say. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're, we're working on a prototype right now and she's recording some audio for us. So she, she's a good sport about it. Uh, Yeah. Bell Bell was one of them. Cause I think we also, I I don't know if it's too much to say on the podcast, but again, as we mentioned at the beginning, Scott and I have been friends for 20 years. I am not, I'm an omnivore when it comes to most media. Like we share books, television, radio games together. I can't sit through a musical for some reason. <laughs> just and, and, I, and I've I've made him sit through so many. <laughs> and I was like, wouldn't it be funny if we put this in the game? Like, wouldn't it be funny if the guy, if half of the people creating this game did not love musicals? But I I actually do love them. And uh, in like Monkey Island has a a couple of them have musical numbers, which I thought was always really mm-hmm. interesting. 
Um, to answer your question, though, uh, it is hard to choose, honestly, now that I'm on under the gun. I really like Senior Capello. Um, there's just something about this. Who, who is that? Who is Senior Capello? He, he is a delightful the head man. Of the catering company? Uh, actually, no, you is meet that... him early on. Uh, if you scan him, you'll see a, a, a hat shaped hole in his heart. He once upon a time found a, a hat that was his the best hat in the world. He lost it tragically oh, right. and has been looking yes. for it ever since. He is a very bit character, guys, but the <laughs> it is something that like brought me so much of delight that Matt and Jeremy kept bringing him back. And I, I like, I, I you know, rule of threes, I like that for comedy, but rule of twelves, I think is better. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's definitely of that joke variety where we just sort of keep going at it. And again, you can, you don't have to really know much about him. You don't have to deal with him that much, but you can also discover him in lots of locations trying to find this great hat. I just love putting that into games. I think it's hilarious. Or, or not. <laughs> like the, the, the crazy thing about our game is, is there are, there are a couple of key plot shaping decisions that you make, but there's lots of little ones that shape like the, the locations can change and, and the characters that you see there can change. So if you don't let in Senior Capello Fantastico, he's just not there in the game. You miss seeing him in an array oh, no. of bizarre hats. Um, so I, I, I like that. I like the idea that there are things that every player sees, and then there are things that people will be like, oh my God, I, I never saw that. I never knew that that was there. Yeah. Thank God for time travel. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like like you guys um, have mentioned, like some of these characters, and again, I don't want to spoil everything but but the game is chock full of little pop culture references just everywhere you mentioned the beauty and the beast thing i picked out you know multiple monkey island references which was a treat for me as a huge monkey island fan um what's your favorite like little reference that you snuck in there that you think maybe is is a little esoteric maybe people people don't know about i'm going to give scott time to think about it as the writer cuz he probably snuck in the most out of anyone <laughs> although maybe second to I don't know, actually, the writers and the art department both really had fun on that. Yeah. My favorite one, which is a little bit of a cheat, is that as we were developing the shed... That was a quick the, yeah from Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, was the, We had a confiscation area where you were sort of... You saw a bunch of objects that had been... Contraband. Taken, contraband, had been contrabanded to the city. Mm -hmm. And we got to work in... The entire background of basically the shed is one big reference to multiple games. Um so that was the that was my favorite one because it's always in the player's sight. It does nothing. You 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 could entirely ignore it throughout your entire playthrough. Um, but I I really like that part. What about you, Scott? I mean, I'm going to share a, a a learning that we had is that uh, if you include brand names in your game, you're going to get sued. So yeah. <laughs> we we didn't know that at the beginning. It's our first first go round. So. F finding soundalikes for, and it was after we'd recorded the voices, it was a real mess, but we oh. had like references to like Airbnb in there and, and mm -hmm. legal was like, no, you can't say Airbnb in your game. And, I, and so there were a couple that we had to strip, strip and gut from the game. Come on um, guys. Air, Air D and D is right there. Air, it's Air V and D actually. In there. But Air, that's, that's you much think that'd be there. far away, but it yeah. isn't apparently. Um, <laughs> the one that we might get sued for is, is one of the turns in level 10, which is a, a night shift and the night shifts are spookier um, are the ghost finders, which are very close <laughs> yeah. to ghost busters. Um, but yeah, I'd oh, say, no, they, oh no, they got us. Oh, they got us. I can hear the door being knocked down. <laughs> we're, immediately. Go, we're, we're going to jail. Um, there are two really nerdy literary references that I love so much. 
um, Teeny Tom McGoblin, who is right out of right <laughs> yes. out of Dickens. There, mm-hmm. There's only one way to get it, but basically you can hear the sort of end sequence of Tiny Tim from A Christmas Carol, if, and you hear about buying a turkey and all that, and it's so stupid and nonsensical. <laughs> the, the other one is through the Ghost Finders. You can you can see the ghost of the dead king, and it's yes. almost ver, it's almost verbatim um, uh, the 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 ghost speech from Hamlet. So I, I no, 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 it's no, amazing. No. The, the 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 Scottish play, right? The, I know. I, th- I think it's it's not it's not the Scottish play. It's it's the because it talks about ear poison, which I think is I think is Hamlet. Oh. But but we can we can we can debate this offline. We we can get real heated. About that. <laughs> and that's what tore it apart. I didn't expect that. Podcast that's the, over. That's the contentious part with us. Um, oh, I do have one more I want to add. Buttface. Sorry, okay. I just realized just Buttface oh, was yeah. great, and it's such a stupid dumb joke. And so, I love it. And the art, like the art team got to run with it. And the make art's this, so good. Uh, like, you know, essentially somewhere between an eight and a 16, uh, you know, like a pixel yes. uh, character, yeah. which I love. I love whenever art styles switch. It's kind of become more common now, but it, it was like a real touch to do it. And, and it's it's a butt face is a character. The, the idea is that um, any any game with a character generator where you get to sort of name your character um, obnoxious eight-year-olds are going to pick stupid things, so it's a character who didn't get to choose his name, um, and it's a—it's just a love song to Stardew Valley. The whole turn is just a parody yeah, of Stardew yeah, Valley, yeah. so that's a—that's a good one for sure. That's so good. Well, let me let me ask you guys this because I would be remiss. Our our community is full of collectors, and you know, I look at little guardsmen, and I'm like. There are so many merch opportunities here. So many little physical goodies that are like begging to be made real, let alone a physical edition of the game, uh, which would be amazing. We we would love to to see that. Is there any interest in doing anything like that for this? We would love to. So I, I have a request on air, which is that you can tweet at Tiny Build to please ask for this merch opportunity. It's something we'd love to do. I mean, we um, they're a publisher and they, um, you know, we we just... Like there's a, my call out, the one I think that I would like to make, which was, goes all the way back to early concept drawings of Lil is actually Scott's mm-hmm. wife commented on this. Her sweater is something that I wanted to be fairly iconic, you know, with the little heart and yeah. Hoffa, who's our artist came in and had this great idea for the, you know, the one patch over the eye, just this. And then there's a poster in the, in her room of a band that, that it's from. That's my favorite call out. That's the thing I would love to make, but a lot of those characters would be great. I mean, they're in any shape and form. We'd love to do that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting living in this sort of subscription mo- model digital age. I mean, I was such a voracious collector of physical media and, and yeah. of games, and I saved all the game boxes and stuff, which took up way too much space. So yeah, I mean, uh, companies like Limited Run Games, I think that's filling that niche. So if a game is successful enough and there's enough call for a physical release, we'd, we'd, love, we'd love that. Um, and yeah, I mean... This isn't exactly exactly your question, but we could very easily um, plot out a, se- a, a a season of television, a season of, of uh, animated oh, show yeah. for Lil. It's it's right there. So so yeah, I mean, we would love to keep going with Lil Guardsman. We would love to like like we have the stories in our head all ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, our hope is that if things keep going so well, we'll be able to keep doing more. 
That'd be great. Would love to see some some more Lil. Would you guys do, um, you know, because because Lil obviously the main character is so is so great, well performed, well written. I'd love to see more of Lil. But the the world is is so rich, and you you have even baked in these sort of other guardsmen characters. Like this is just one gate. I could almost imagine like you know like what are what are the other guards guardsmen dealing with? <laughs> you know, on the sprawl. Yeah, and, I th- uh, yeah, I'd it's love just- to see that. It's interesting that, yeah, this, I think we really like The Sprawl. It's a cool setting for a story. I think we got a little bit of it out of the world out through the the two empires visiting you. And that was kind of a fun right. question of well, what's the rest of the world like? And I remember like drawing early concepts of like um, a dock that was um, that's still in there in, in two ways. Actually, there's a little for anybody listening this far, if you've stuck with us. In uh, in uh, one of the advisors' rooms, there's a there's a uh, painting on the wall that's one of my old pieces of concept art, which is like this like uh, you know this large drawing. But yeah, I remember talking to Scott and saying like, "Hey, what is this ship like? And why is it powered by this? And how do the crystals fit into it?" And then him, him sort of tolerating my craziness about it. Um, but I think <laughs> yeah, we want to like that world is great. It's really fun. It's really fun to write in. It's really fun to be in. So yeah. I think more would be fantastic. Yeah. I- I think we're, we're we sort of are in a, a wait and see period, but we've we've got yeah. an outline for story DLC that we'd love to move on. Um, I haven't pitched you on on this yet. I was I was picturing uh, the characters that pretty much must end up in jail. Mm. That it would be fun to expand on, like sort of a rogues gallery. Of oh, that the, is of really fun. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I have a, I have a special place in my heart for shitheads. So I think that's uh, uh, like dirt bag, dirt bags as well. Especially, I really like as characters. So that's a weird, I, that's a weird I thing to brag about. I share with the world. Listen, what does it say about me? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love that. I I would also say that like Lil is twelve in our story, um, mm-hmm. which is fun. Fun, and that was very deliberate. I'd love I'd love to tell a story where she's fifteen or sixteen because I think. Um, there's just new dimensions and the, the idea of her being a little bit older and, and the idea of exploring like first love and stuff would be really fun. And there would be a lot of comedy to mine there for sure. She, oh, yeah. she turned 16 and she has to deal with all the people she sent to jail, form the sprawl aside <laughs> squad or something. And... <laughs> sprawl aside squad. That's, that's pretty good, good. Actually, I like that's, that. That's, that's so bad. Good. That's so bad. It's good again. I'm into it. <laughs> that, that could be the title of my autobiography. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, we would love to see that. This, this, I mean, it sounds like buzzwords. It sounds like, you know, the, the, the typical line you'd see from a reviewer, but like this game just has so much heart and personality behind it. It's impossible not to get wrapped up in everything that's going on in Lil Guardsman. You guys really knocked it out of the park. This was clearly a labor of love. And uh, the, this is just an incredible piece of software. Thank you guys. We really appreciate that. And, and and again, just to say it, like we really appreciate everyone who's wishlisted the game, everyone who's actively playing it, uh, sharing about it. It's a, it is an amazing treat to make something and then have it resonate with people. So we're just, we're over the moon about it. Yeah. And I, I think we've learned a lot of lessons, but mostly in a good way, mostly like it's sort of our hypotheses have been proven true. Um, but yeah, we, we, we have a vision for what more little guardsmen would look like, but also as we start thinking about future games, future projects, um, we just want to make sure that, that we're centering story and that sort of rich stories come through our games and also humor. I think I think it would be a mistake to not keep drilling down on that as we go forward. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we can't wait to see what you guys do next. Little Guardsman is fantastic. Uh, one final question that we uh, that we ask to every independent developer, um, you know, whenever we have the uh, the pleasure of speaking to them on the show. Um, we're a Nintendo podcast, Nintendo uh, loving community here, and we would uh, we would love to know. And and I understand that this is a, a big question, so feel free to take your time if you need to. Um, if you were approached, if Hilltop were approached, and even for, for you both individually, to work with a Nintendo IP, which would you choose and why? Oh, mine's actually really easy. Go, then. Uh, Go for it. I would do Mario in a second. And the reason is actually Mario's the first game that I played with my daughter. So we just finished Mario Wonder together. Oh, uh, nice. I have very Yeah, I have very strong opinions about it. I... There, the older version had a, a kind of two-player ability where the the second player would bubble with you instead of being... Little, little buddy mode. Yeah, and I love it. It was right. it's, it's what got my daughter into gaming. I bought her a little controller that fits into her five-year-old hands. So, sorry, that's a very <laughs> earnest answer, maybe. Hopefully, uh, Nintendo doesn't hold that against me. But I would, in a heartbeat, do that because I think it's just... it's uh, You know, I'd look forward to one year of design just to make sure Mario bounces correctly when he moves, but the, then the, the, the turnaround test. With yeah. Mario. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that'd be my answer. I don't know, Scott, that's a great, great question. I love that. Um, I have two, I have two answers. One, I think I'm ready for a new Donkey Kong country. And I think, <laughs> yes, I think our, our flavor would be compatible with the Donkey Kong universe. Yeah. Um, I can see that. The other one is I would love to go so far with a Star Fox game and take it all the way to like space opera. Like, like, because I feel like they're pretty light story wise, but really fun, uh, fun game wise. But I want like the deep lore of Star, Star Fox. I would love to play with that. Well, just thinking about the composition of uh, Little Guardsman just got me thinking about like the the musical numbers from the Donkey Kong Country TV series and adding <laughs> oh, those yeah. into like a game or something <laughs> through you guys. So mm-hmm. I just I, that jumped into my mind and I could imagine like really rhythmically centric Donkey Kong Country gameplay with, uh, I don't know, something right in, like something right in the middle of the Venn diagram of, you know, like the newer Donkey Kong Country games that we got, Little Guardsman and something like the Great Mighty Pooh from Conker's Bad Fur Day. I'm, I'm in, <laughs> I've, I've just purchased my tickets to Japan to pitch, so, so we're on it. Scrap the next one, we're pitching it, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, you can just present this episode of, of All In as your as your pitch to Nintendo. <laughs> Exhibit so. A. Uh, so there you go. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, real quick before we uh, before we roll out the red carpet one last time, how can people uh, follow you either personally or the the game or Hilltop or, or all of the above? Yeah, we can share all of them. Uh, you can follow uh, Hilltop at Play Hilltop. Uh, pretty much wherever you find it, we're pretty active on on Twitter, such yeah, as it is. We're we're on X slash Twitter, whatever we're calling it. Uh, Play Hilltop. We're also on YouTube. Um, but yeah, go- Google us and you can find us. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm uh, I'm usually Art comma K O M M A on on a couple of media platforms. I'm just starting to get more active. I think now that I have something interesting to talk about. Scott, what are you on? I'm I'm gonna hide behind. Play Hilltop. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, if, you're, if, you're, if, if, you're, if you're engaging with our, our company social media, it's probably me. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll have, uh, of course, full links to to everything Hilltop uh, in, the, uh, in the podcast episode description. But uh, let's roll out the red carpet one last time for Scott and Artem.
Yay! 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 I like it. Now I'm going to do that for all podcasts. <laughs> thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck in the future. Thank Cheers. You. Thanks. Well, that was a great chat with uh, Artem and Scott. We really appreciate them for coming through and talking about Little Guardsmen. Uh, great little game. Y'all should play it. Absolutely. Make sure to check it out. Make sure to check out all of their socials. Make sure to follow them on X, on Twitter. Make sure to check out everything they are doing uh, over there at Hilltop Games. And also, I mean, while you're at it, do make sure to check out what we're doing here at All In Media. Make sure to follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at All In Podcast. Make sure to follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash all in podcast. We've got a ton of videos going up every week. We've got weekly news roundups that we do live every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Just a ton of content for all of you amazing members of our family. And in addition to all of that, Seth, we even produce several multiple exclusive shows just for our amazing patrons. Yeah, there's a ton of exclusive content that goes up every single week uh, on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash allinpodcast. You don't have to take our word for it. There's a seven-day free trial to the Golden Banana tier that will get you access to that. So you can see it for yourself. Check it out and uh, and see what works for you. We really appreciate y'all uh, for doing that. You can also pick up some merch, bit.ly slash allinmerch. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can do so. Uh, we appreciate that. But if you don't have any bones throw away, that's okay to you can always leave us some words drop some uh drop some five star reviews on your podcatcher of choice and that is also very appreciated quick free easy if you love the show just do that review real quick it's yeah. easy appreciate yeah. you huge huge thank you to uh uh i guess it was we think it was maybe saz yeah sebastian from sacramento sebastian from sacramento well regardless thank you so much sebastian from sacramento and regardless if you're not saz still thank you saz for jumping up to the golden banana tier if you want to hear about all the cool stuff that we have going on over there at patreon just ask him just ask saz uh but to all of you amazing patrons like saz to all of you awesome people who have dropped words like uh, Mr. Sebastian from Sacramento to everybody who's picked up a piece of our merch. Again, that is bit.ly slash all in merch and everybody who has just shared our content across this internet of ours to every single one of you. We would like to extend a huge namaste. Namaste. Another one down. It felt good. We, we did our, our first dev interview of the year, yeah. which, um, which was great. We had a, a review. I mean, this is a big episode. Yeah. Huge. Another big episode. Here we are in February coming up on Valentine's Day next week. We've actually got those concerts. We've got that Zelda concert. Yeah. We've got that Splatoon concert coming up and we're officially, I mean, we're here in February, which means we are officially on Nintendo Direct Watch. It could be happening any day now. Who knows? This coming week of releases is suspiciously sparse. So who knows? Maybe this time next week we'll have Metroid Prime 2 Echo Shadow dropped in our laps. You can't say. I, I mean, yeah, who knows? We'll we'll have to wait and see. But whatever happens, of course, we will be right back here next week. Same uh, bat time, same bat channel uh, right here on All In, a Nintendo podcast. Yeah, uh, as long so as we'll... it's the Sunset Batman. Yeah, as long as it's the Sunsoft Batman, of course. We have to we have to keep it on theme. But <laughs> exactly. uh, But until then, I have been my time at Seth Rock. 
And I have been Eric Bike World Rally. We love you guys so much. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.